0: Okay. Welcome, everyone. We have got another very special edition of Big Bree. We got my man, Brian Rast, as usual, and not so usual. We have the guest. The guest, it is a very special guest. So special. He's incognito. He's here. He's not on camera. Goes by Chimp Zoo. We're calling him Chimp. He is a crypto expert. No, he's and a
1: dinosaur with laser eyes. Yeah, dinosaur Actually, laser we eyes. We that brought him back really with cool. our time machine.
2: We are, but let's just welcome right. him in right away. Chimp, how are you? Doing good. How are you guys doing?
0: Very, very good. Well, I'm excited because this is something that I enjoy, but I'm not an expert in. So I let you guys are going to be carrying a bunch of the comments. I'll be asking some questions. Uh, but first of all, just again, because no one really necessarily knows, maybe Rast, you can flash the Twitter so people can at least put a put a, uh, a laser eyed gorilla uh, Godzilla with the name here. There he is. Chimzu on Twitter. Make sure you guys give him a follow. Knows his stuff, but tell us a little about yourself and then we'll go dive into some questions and, and random things. So he'll tell us a bit about yourself.
2: Sure. Yeah. First, I should say, if anyone's looking at my Twitter, uh, I sound completely deranged if you read it. So uh, if you read it, just take it with a grain of salt. Um, But yeah, I uh, mostly trade BTC USD on leverage. Um, uh, And I've been involved in, maybe I'll I'll give a little bit of a background. So I sort of got involved in Bitcoin. I I mean, I knew about Bitcoin in 2011, 2012. And uh, at the end of 2013, I was like running an online store. And I was running it with a friend of mine, and uh, this was right when Bitcoin had spiked to a grand. And he was like, "Hey, some guy, some customers are asking if they can pay with Bitcoin." And I'm like, "And I was thinking, like, well, he's like, should we take it or not?" And I'm like, "Well, why not, right?" So we ended up taking it, and then <laughs> we got it. Like, it wasn't much money at all, but uh, we were also really into poker. So my friend just googled like Bitcoin poker, and uh, this website Seals with Clubs popped up. And so over the next three years, I basically, three to next three to four years, I basically played poker. Like I used the Bitcoin that I got from selling products online, playing poker, initially playing like, you know, smaller table, like MTTs. You played and the biggest
0: stakes in the world, basically, is what you're saying.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, to, if you look at Bitcoin's prices now, yeah, I guess the games are a lot bigger than uh, than they were then. But, uh, but yes, yeah, so I started with those with like smaller MTTs and then. I got into PLO cash, mostly playing like, I, I would say my specialty was like sh- shorthanded PLO cash, like heads up, three max, four max, like, um and I did that till 2017. And then basically as the price of Bitcoin started to go up, the game started to die out because people needed to buy Bitcoin to send to the website. And like once Bitcoin started to break like 5k, the price of Bitcoin just got prohibit- prohibitively expensive for like the degenerates who are playing on these crypto websites. And so I had a friend of mine who was a poker player who I actually uh, uh, met through poker, but he was trading crypto on the side. And that, that was like what he was actually, he was like better at trading crypto than he was at poker, I would say. And so he sort of got me into the whole crypto trading thing. And he was, in some sense, he taught me how to trade. And then I've basically been trading crypto since like end of 2017, beginning of 2018.
0: Very cool that's uh that is that is very cool. So do you remember what were some of the, the pots have you ever calculated like were you playing for a couple Bitcoin five Bitcoin ten Bitcoin 20 Bitcoin in a pot is that is it what like give us a little perspective on the stakes on that
2: Yeah, the biggest pot I ever won was like a nine Bitcoin pot heads up. Uh, I actually remember the pot I was playing against some guy who so I ended up beating him out for I think that session I beat him out for like 10 BTC. And then the next day, he ended up beating someone else out for like 120 BTC on uh, like playing Limit Hold'em. So it was like the weirdest thing. Like he, for me, it was like my biggest score ever. And he was just like, yeah, this is like nothing to me. So,
0: wow, that's, uh, that's, that's pretty sick. Yeah. It's got to be, it's got to be fun. I mean, are you, uh, so what you said, 2012? Is this, hold on. Let
1: let me just jump in right real fast to tell the audience at home that here is our, our man, Chimp Zoo, on the BitMEX leaderboard. Uh, over a 1,000 XBT at profit, um, you know, at some point. So uh, we're, he's talking about nine BTC poker wins, but the man has traded for a lot more for a very long time. I mean, BitMEX isn't today. It's not the biggest trading site anymore. It's not even one of the top couple. But, you know, back in the day, uh, BitMEX was like far and away the biggest uh, crypto, basically Bitcoin derivatives trading site. So I just wanted to show... The viewers at home, this info, so they have an idea who we're talking to. Trying he's, this is his trading, not the poker. But yeah, all right. So very, anyway, Jeff.
0: Very cool. Okay, and so that is that is. I mean, so you're playing high stakes. Can you give us a little in, insight on what what that looks like? What about a good and bad trading day? What can that look like?
2: Um, I mean, if it's like a really good or really bad, I mean, I can tell you the day or the week leading up into the BitMEX leaderboard that was like probably. Okay, the best trading day I probably had was uh, the day... Actually, it was the day 4K broke to the upside on April 1st of 2019. Because uh, it basically went from 4K to 5K. And I yeah. was back holding like a long for like four months straight. And so that was like... I don't remember how much BTC I made in that single day, but that must have been at least a few hundred. And then on the way back, in terms of losing, probably the worst loss I took was uh, either being short into this she candle.
0: Or, what does that mean? Could you make it louder? Oh yeah. So
2: that was like that was like October 30th or October 31st of 2019, where Bitcoin just spiked from like 7.5 to 10.5k in, in a in basically like a 12 hour span. So um, just
1: for the viewers at home, well, actually this chart's too zoomed out. No, keep talking. I'll I'll do a better job. Yeah,
2: or like maybe when six K broke to the upside um on like May in May of 2019. So both of the biggest losses were actually taking shorts, which uh, just goes to show shorting Bitcoin is a lot more dangerous than you think most of the time.
1: All right. So the biggest win that he's talking about, I remember this happening. We're, we're right here. This is <laughs> this is this green candle. Boom, four to five to K. That was beautiful. That was when it just like ended printing the bottom. So what an opportunity to buy Bitcoin that was.
0: Uh, and, and, and give me, give me, give me a bit of a, a perspective on feeling. How is the emotions when you have a big trade up and down uh, when, or when, you know, big, big uptick or downtick in, in the trading world and BTC versus poker, like playing some big cash games or bankroll movement. How, how wait, does it feel? Hold
1: on while I have this chart up real fast. The sheet candle that was uh was that this one right here? Yep. When it pumped yep. and sold off, right? Yep. Yeah. So that you were, you were short on this.
2: Yep. Yeah. That was a yep. uh, mistakes were made. <laughs> It's
1: interesting. You were kind of like macro directionally correct, because obviously this sell off wasn't done. But that was just that was like the craziest uh, kind of I guess it was going after shorts to liquidate shorts, because I mean, it just pumped and then just sold right back off Uh, the hot, the soccer pattern. Another trader that this (laughs) this kind of got named off where it pumps and then just kind of just sells off and ends up taking out the low from the pump which it did. And sorry, what was the other time? So that that was one of your biggest losses. It was literally like
2: actually a month after the 4K break. So it was like the 6K break actually in uh, mid-May of 2019.
1: Uh, Okay. So yeah, you would assume that it was going to consolidate more here.
2: Yeah. uh, And not just
1: fly through six sort of the way. Yeah. Yeah. Okay.
2: That was like one of the examples I learned where sometimes when Bitcoin's sort of been depressed for as long as it has, it can go up a lot harder than people anticipate. And that was a great example of that, actually. I mean, I took a big loss there, but it helped me out later on when considering some of these like price movements uh, moving out of a range, so.
1: Yeah, you know, it's the interesting thing when when Bitcoin has one of these kind of like macro bottoms or tops and then, you know, has a direction change here with this is a, such a strong impulse. You know, it's like you you think, oh, hey, like look at this level, Right. This level here, six thousand, mm-hmm. like this has been support forever. There might be resistance here, but it's actually like the sort of the direction, the, the momentum off of this impulse will just keep carrying it because it's just like once it keeps rolling, sometimes it's very hard for that momentum to slow down.
2: Yeah, and also I think it's one of those situations where, like, it's like how long, how long has it been since you since that level was sort of relevant? Like, you look at how long we sat between three and four K I think it was for about four and a half months. And so a lot of people who were going to like capitulate ended up capitulating between three and four K. And so you didn't actually have that many people who bag held for like four or five months. And then all of a sudden they got, you know, prices 25% higher and decided that they were just going to sell everything.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. And yeah, it's, and there was also that period during COVID like, I feel like I, I forget exactly. It was stayed at 10K, it seemed like, yep. for a long time. How, and how many months was that? Was that like, that was like five months or something, wasn't it? Four or five months.
2: The per- period before COVID? I think it stayed there for about two months and then it popped to 12K and then came back down and then went like parabolic. Yeah, this is right here. I, I yeah. have it
1: on the chart right now. I mean, it looks like it was basically from the end of April to it broke through uh, towards the end of July. So, 3 months. And then yep. that then it did this kind of like fake out, fake breakout, then retest of 10k, Michael Sailor YOLOing. <laughs> and then and then it was just the most absurd kind of like <laughs> up only. I mean, this I, was
2: I actually I actually have a funny story about that time. Uh I mean, I didn't expect it. I mean, in hindsight I should have known that it was probably going to go up as hard as it did. Like I I was very bullish actually at 10k, but I thought it was going to go back to like 12 and then just chill or or consolidate for longer but uh i have a funny story which was i had a friend i met with at like 10.4k and we, we met for lunch and i told him like man i'm so bullish here i mean i was bullish for like 15 20 move to the upside and he told me at that time he had sold all of his crypto and he was just sitting in cash because he didn't know what was next so i always go back to that story i'm like man that was like a much better bottom than even i realized at the time
0: and and So two questions. I have one immediately about the the feeling. How does it feel? Mm -hmm. Wins, losses, trading versus poker from your, from your member of poker.
2: Honestly, I would say like from an emotional control standpoint, I don't really have that many huge highs or huge lows. It's like if I take a big win or a big, like in poker, I remember in poker when I would have like a bad session, it would actually be the next day where I would feel like really bad about it in terms of like, if I had played poorly Um, in terms of trading, like, I would say if I have a big win or a big loss, it, it doesn't really affect me too much either way because the money doesn't really impact my lifestyle at all. And so it's like maybe one way of thinking about it is just like a computer game, right? You're just, I'm just playing to see how well I can do in this game called like predicting Bitcoin's price. And so it actually is like less of an emotional swing than I think most people go through.
0: And and what do you think about luck and skill with trading and versus poker? <sighs>
2: Well, with poker, like, if you put in enough of a sample size, you can definitely, um, your your skill should definitely show through, right? As long as you have good bankroll management, like, your, your EVBB per hundred should, like, make you a winner over time, I guess. But, though, uh, you guys know much, you guys are probably much, I mean, you guys definitely know much more about poker than me. I mean, I only played for, like, three, four years, basically, to run up my bankroll. Uh, but uh, in trading, I think that... I think that there's more of an element of luck, actually. I, actually, if you look at like, so if you look at like certain exchange data, like, uh, you know, who's winning on exchanges and who's losing on exchanges, it turns out that as markets are going up in crypto markets, generally speaking, like everyone's winning or everyone's doing well. And it's actually when there's big downturns where you end up seeing like larger accounts holding up just fine for the most part and smaller accounts getting like totally wiped. Like I on the May crash, for example, I think that... Uh only less than twenty percent of accounts worth like a thousand dollars or less ended up making a profit on the day of that may crash last year. But if you looked at accounts of let's say like that were worth fifty or a hundred million dollars, I think almost all of them actually ended up coming out a winner on that on that on the day of that crash so
0: very interesting um Ras I got you, one more question. i have
2: I have a question for you about that yeah
1: if you were going to parse that and analyze what that means like what does it mean? When you see that, I mean, it, I mean, it definitely kind of immediately would imply that a lot of the large accounts then are short. But wouldn't that? I mean, does that imply that that's a pretty good way to say that? Hey, we're about to have a pretty big crash. And does that imply that maybe a bottom's about to come up because those? I mean, hundred million—that's a—that's a lot of money. And once once it gets lows and low enough, that person, you know, might be incentivized to then go back into crypto. Or do you have different takes? Or like. You know, I, I don't know. Yeah. That's pretty interesting, and I'm I'm already as a person who's done a little bit of trading, trying to, you know, like see, oh, like how what what can I say about what that means about the market? But I'm sure you've thought more about this. So,
2: yeah, actually, so it's my friend who sort of has access to this data, but it could also just be that they they were more strategic about deploying their capital. Like they might have just bought the liquidations or bought the bought the big sell off and ended up like because the market, for example, on that day, I think went to four, went from forty to thirty, right back to forty in like twelve or twenty four hours. So it was a very yeah, fast move. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it did. It was that that initial bounce off of the the liquidation got all the way back up and then um, you know, then it just kept selling off. I mean, actually that first bounce I think got might have even gone over 40 and it was like one of the highest Bitcoin really yep. was for the next few months, but let me see if I can bring actually,
2: that Actually, so that sell off was one of the reasons why I thought that if 53 broke, the market could dump out in uh November in uh December because I remember when 40 broke, like 40 broke. And it actually, there was like a delay after 40 broke where the market didn't actually deleverage for another six to 12 hours. And I remember like 53 broke in on December 3rd and the market didn't actually deleverage down for like another six or 12 hours. And I was like, I was out of the house. I was just like, man, I'm exiting all my trades and I'm just walking out of the house. And like six hours later, my phone starts blowing up and I'm like looking at the price, that's just nosediving. So it was very similar in terms of like the market, like microstructure that happened on those two days.
1: Yeah, this this is the, when it broke down to, and actually the, the liquidations brought it to, just just wicked under, under 30,000. But yeah, yeah, you can see on that bounce up, uh, the next daily candle, it got up to over 42, which actually uh on any of the bounces for the next months during that summer uh it never got over never got that high until until it was you know time to peace out on that range but but
2: yeah yeah Yeah, and actually if you go to like december early december it's a very similar thing happened there i think like
1: are you are you talking about
2: when we broke down here yep yeah yeah i guess the bounce wasn't quite as high but it was actually very similar in terms of if you were looking sort of at the market microstructure on December 3rd, um, it was very similar. Like the market basically broke like this sort of like key level and actually stalled out for six to 12 hours before actually like sort of liquidation cascading down. And that's actually one of the other things too, I would say, uh, because Brian, you've been in this market for a couple of years now. And I don't know if you would agree with me on this, but I felt, I feel like in 2019, because of the way Bitmex was like handling liquidations, you would see these big liquidation cascades every couple of days uh, you know up to every couple of days. like maybe sometimes it was a bit longer, but you get them a lot less now. And so in some sense, if you're thinking about this from like a poker perspective, the sample size you're getting on these rare events is just becoming smaller and smaller for people who are like just entering the market in 2021 and learning how to trade then. Yeah,
1: no, that makes a lot of sense.
0: I got I got a question before I forget because this is just Rast. I wanted to talk to you about this and I haven't asked you. And very curious what you think. What about this Elon Musk tweet about Satoshi Nakamoto with Nakamichi, Motorola, uh, Samsung, Toshiba? Is this like just like a, is this a joke or do you think this is like it? May it seems pretty like. Uh, what's that movie, right? Where he sees the thing on the wall and pieces it together with the Kevin Spacey uh, movie, like this type of thing. What are your thoughts on this? Start with you, Chimp. Is this a real thing? Is this how it was created or is this just sort of like a funny thing?
2: Honestly, I think he's just trolling people. <laughs> that's that's my take.
0: I haven't seen the tweet or... It's oh, a, I think it
2: might be two or three weeks old. Just type oh. in
0: Elon Musk, Satoshi Nakamoto or whatever. or uh, like Just type that in Google and it should pop right up. But it's sort of like the Samsung Toshiba... Nakamichi and Motorola put together. I mean, I, I get. I listen. I'm I'm not that gullible, but I feel like you know that looks pretty strong, right? Like it's kind of funny. I mean, if you think about it, like it's it's uh scroll down, rest. There it is. Yeah, there oh, go. I mean, <laughs> I don't know. It looks legit to me, but um anyway, all right. So there's nothing there. I thought maybe we, like we cracked it. And, I mean, like, he's probably
1: just joke trolling.
0: I would <laughs> guess. Yeah. You I know. get it. It's it's just kind of funny, right? Because those are major companies. I mean, you can't really, you can't do that with a lot of like a person's name. It's uh, it's 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 interesting, but... Um,
2: sailors' response is like just as funny. If, I'll if you give go, you a
0: really good reason why it's
1: not them. How about this? The Sat- well, no, I know. I'm not saying
0: it is them. Well, I'm the the Satoshi, that well
1: that whatever. You. I'm just going yeah. to talk them for the people at home. Okay. The Satoshi coins, which is something like a million odd coins that have been kind of labeled as ones that haven't moved now forever. I highly doubt that if four companies somehow banded together and somehow were able to keep this secret, which is actually impossible, that four probably publicly traded companies with like, who knows, tens of thousands at least employees <laughs> between them could keep a secret like this. If they could somehow do that, there's no way that they the coins would still be unmoved at this point now that they're worth billions of dollars and these companies you know, are seeking profit. So you know it's a fun thing, but when you parse it down, it's like zero. No, hold on. Let
0: I'm me sure. just clarify. I am not what? saying I believe that Sams No, I'm.
1: I'm not saying you are. I'm. I'm just saying you know, that the guy who
0: created it, or the person or the group that they took the, oh. these words and they actually pieced it together, and that was what they went with. I'm. That's what I'm saying. I'm not saying that these companies are in a conspiracy and like form Bitcoin uh, that the other way. But but anyway, I whatever. I just I just think that that that's that doesn't seem that impossible. Right. Like, you know, you looked around, you play, you uh, come up with an alias and you like take some of these, I guess, what, Korean um, companies and then do it. So anyway, oh, uh, I have
1: I have a few questions. I want to redirect uh, Ch- Chimp back and get get some takes because I've, yeah. I've talked quite a bit of uh, stuff. But what I want is actually so, Chimp, you've done a lot of trading, right. but how do you view Bitcoin, crypto, however you want to? talk uh, maybe a little bit of both in terms of, as an investor how does that impact your trading what are kind of your feelings about that uh about hey bitcoin as an investment not just like I'm betting on the price going up and yeah. down
2: yeah i think uh let's see where do i start here i mean i, I have a lot of thoughts here i'm, I'm trying to think about how, where to, where to begin here but I, maybe from well let me first start by this i think most people are better off just being an investor in bitcoin than they are being a trader because trading trading Bitcoin specifically is a very difficult task. Like if you just go, you know, for some reason, like you wouldn't go to YouTube to, to like, if a family member of yours needed like open heart surgery, you wouldn't go watch like a 10 hour video on open heart surgery and try to do it yourself. But when it comes to trading, a lot of people think that because they were successful in other aspect of their life or whatnot, or because they've watched, you know, like a 10 hour training training course on YouTube or someone's, you know, group or whatever, like that they're going to be successful in trading this market. And I think when it comes to trading this market, it's really hard. And so for most people, they should just be an investor. Now, when it comes to like Bitcoin, and I should talk Bitcoin specifically, because I'm much more of a believer in Bitcoin than I am in all of these other cryptocurrencies. Um, I think that the, the thing that I like about Bitcoin is it's not state backed, right? You look at any sort of state backed currency, whether it be dollars or whatever, euros or whatever nowadays, but, you know, you can go back in time and find other currencies, right? You can even go back to ancient Rome and and the ancient denarius, right? That got devalued basically to zero. And I just like the idea of a currency that one isn't state backed and two, you can take anywhere. And the thing I like about Bitcoin is in my opinion, it's sort of like the least crowded trade, or it's one of the least crowded trades, right? You look at other asset classes that people put money in, like, they, people put money in bonds and bonds, you have basically like your upside is literally the coupon, right? And your downside is the bond basically defaulting. So it's like your upside is limited on bonds and you get eaten away by inflation. You look at stocks, how many people are putting money into stocks into 401ks? Like, I'm not sure how everyone's going to get their money out of that in 10, 20, 30, 40 years, real estate, etc. I just feel like if you're trying to make an investment, you want to get into something early and something that has actually a solid narrative and thesis behind it. And I think that for that reason, like Bitcoin to me is one of the like highest EV investments someone could make.
1: Yeah, you know, speaking about one of your first points about Bitcoin that I just want to expand upon a little bit because uh, this has recently been in my consciousness. So I think most like Bitcoin bulls like me uh, have been saying for a long time, like, oh, hey, the fact that, you know, it's not backed by any state. You know, one of the one of my thoughts has been like the, the, the kind of gTO arrangement uh game theory optimal arrangement for future nations is eventually Bitcoin being like the reserve asset because it's not controlled by the US because it's like the dollars the premium one now or China as as their currency continues to rise in international markets and all that uh, and I actually you know this exact thing is becoming super relevant today as the US and Europe basically pulls rug pulls Russia, right? I mean, like Mm -hmm. hundreds of billions of dollars have been seized through the the, Swift and banking system. And I mean, obviously, China's taking note. And it's kind of like, well, yeah, China would love their currency to be the one that other countries use. But I guess they'd probably prefer Bitcoin to the US dollar going forward. And that might be like a more realistic, you know, one than their currency replacing. And And then take other countries that aren't China, And might have kind of the same ideas that Russia, China or anyone else has, which is like, oh, hey, if we do something, you know, the U.S. and Europe can just pull the plug and like seize, you know, their money from us or like shut us down from accessing it uh, because of the way this international system is set up. So, um, you know, that that might not necessarily be to some people in the West a, you know, a great thing. Right. You, You could debate that. But you know, definitely Bitcoin is something where those blocks are going to get mined and those transactions are going to get processed every 10 minutes. And there ain't nothing the US government or anyone else in the world is going to fucking do about it when the transaction gets sent. And in a certain sense, that's like a a beautiful form of money, right? So I think this is like a very relevant point that, you know, I even see like regular places like news outlets starting to talk about this. And I'm, I'm sure... Uh, you know, the time is coming for this to to, I don't know, something's going to happen with it. I think with Bitcoin nations and whatever, it's coming soon.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I, I should say this. I'm not, I'm by no means a geopolitical expert, but yeah, you know, when I see things like the U S is basically like what you said, the U S is basically you know rug pulling Russia. Like other countries are going to take notice of this. It's like, how like I would imagine that if you're another country and you have all your assets in like dollar denominated. Uh, you know, your, let's say your dollar-denominated, and those can just get seized or frozen. Like that's a huge liability for you as a nation. And actually, something interesting because I was talking to some guy who works at a family office in Dubai, and he told me like once the Putin invasion happened, they were getting a lot more uh, order flow, like coming through their office for people looking to buy Bitcoin from like the MENA region, like the Middle East, North Africa region, like like Saudi oil billionaires, things like that. And the the flows have sort of slowed down in the last. Uh, week or two but it's just interesting it's like the world takes notice to this and i think sort of the end game eventually is going to be like it's going to be like an emperor has no clothes moment where people realize that hey there's like the us dollar but well if other countries aren't accepting it or other countries don't feel the need to hold it as as reserve then you know the purchasing power and how far that dollar goes is going to greatly diminish i mean everyone can sort of see like just from a, like, everyone saw what happened with COVID, right? They printed all this money, debts went through the roof. I mean, I don't think there's any realistic way that the US can both like normalize monetary policy and pay off their debts. I mean, that's, I think that's pretty clear. It's just the question of like, to me, it's almost like we're just in the motions of like, it's almost like a, you know, a five part play. And now we're in the motions of like, hey, we're pretending to raise interest rates. Like now let's just see how far we can go until something breaks. And then now, and then, At some point, like there's going to be an emperor has no clothes moment. I don't know when it's going to be, but I'm pretty confident that it's going to happen sometime in the next few years. I mean,
1: it's is it just the U.S. though? I mean, like it's it's a lot of countries are basically doing the same thing in a certain sense because of the prominent place of the dollar and the demand for dollars all around the world, and the fact that the U.S. can kind of print dollars and like other countries can't just do that with their currency, because if they do it, like, you know, the, the demand will go down. But everybody for now needs dollars. I mean, it almost feels like the U.S. is is the most protected country from this emperor has no clothes moment. But, you know, I, I, I agree. It's something that I think is just kind of creeping out there. And right. I mean, I, I think it even might be something where there's a number of countries on the fringes that start to have like serious collapse of their currencies because Mm -hmm. unlike the us when they have debt and they have problems and there's inflation in the country or or shit hits the fan like the solution to just like print money like the us or whatever it's it's kind of not really there in the same way that it is for the us right right so yeah i mean this is uh you know i i guess we'll see what happens but i agree i think this is something that you know I mean, it's such a complicated question, and there's so many ways that it can play out, but it does seem like a looming problem, and it's it's bigger than
0: just the U.S. Well, Chip, yeah. when, when the Emperor has no clothes for the U.S., what, what, what do you see playing out? What happens then?
2: I, I have no idea, honestly. Uh, your guess is as good as mine. Hopefully, it's not Mad Max, but uh, but I have no idea. All I know is uh, I think it's coming at some point, and I'm uh, mentally prepared for, for for hopefully for what's coming. So I don't know how it's going to play out, but we'll see.
0: Yeah. Um, Yeah. And I mean, speaking on that, going a little bit dark, just curious what you think on this. Joe Rogan, he put a tweet out about the MIT computer predicting the world would would come to an end in 2040 or there'd be like catastrophe. And I think Isaac Newton, he showed about 2060 was his prediction with his formulas. Have you seen that or any thoughts? on?
2: Uh, on I'm optimistic on the future of humanity. So You're bullish bullish on life. I'm, I'm bullish on life. So Mm. like there might be hiccups around the road, right? Like, like clearly you can't, some things in life, you know, you're going to have hiccups, things are going to, you're going to have ups and downs. Like that's the cyclical nature of humanity. But generally speaking, I'm, I'm very bullish on, on life. I don't think the world's going extinct. I mean, uh, we're pretty resourceful.
1: That's, that's for sure. Especially when our backs up against the wall. That's for sure. I mean, The thing that strikes me, if if I'm gonna say about like what's the biggest thing looming, I mean, you yeah. know, it, it's hard to to say measure China and their economic output, I think, in some of the ways that say like the US measures its GDP in other countries because it's a, it's a lot more kind of closed. And I think there's certain things, not that it's not in some sense manufactured in the US, but it's way more manufactured in China. That said, just based on like global trade data where, you know, who's the biggest trading partner with this country or that country, where China has basically replaced the US as the major trading partner with like most countries in the world, um, which that data isn't faked. I mean, it, it does seem like uh, China's like really rising as a global power. And, you know, I, there's a lot of data that throughout history, whenever there's been kind of a shift from one group being the biggest power to the next, I mean, normally, but not always, that's come with war. And, you know, what's going to happen this time? I mean, you know, it's starting to be that the world's a little bit of a different place. Like, major countries are going to war a little less because of nuclear weapons. And maybe that's a deterrent. They usually do it through, like, side conflicts. But, I mean, I think this is going to be one of the issues of, say, like, the next, like, 10 to 20 years. is like kind of what happens between the U.S. and China. And even, like, this situation with Russia... You know, for example, playing out the way it is, you know, China's taking note because China, at the very least, like they've got their eyes on, you know, sucking back up Taiwan, among Mm -hmm. other things. So, you know, I mean, to to me, that's kind of the biggest like, oh, if we're going to talk about shit hitting the fan, I mean, number one way shit hits the fan in the next 20 years is beyond whatever you want to talk about, like environmental stuff or this, you know, probably the timeline on that stuff isn't 10 years, but like 10 to 20 years, it's like direct war between the US and China. Well, cause that I mean, would be think, that would be world war 3 basically
0: right yeah, yeah i i i think it's interesting sort of of this whole russia fiasco <laughs> i was talking to one of my really good russian friends was telling me what's happening And some of the numbers are just alarming cuz th- there's so much money and corruption in russia with their military so like it looks like you know 80 to 90% of the money that they were spending on weapons and and, and tanks and such And these things, they, they're just, they don't have like their army is so vulnerable, so weak, you know, they parade around this like super tank. There was like this tank, they were like saying it's the greatest tank in the world or whatever. They had literally one, they had one tank that, that tank they had where they're supposed to have like thousands. They were like this, you know, huge thing and they, they had none. And like, literally they, I think they lost like 40 or 50% of their army. Um, What, what took like in Afghanistan and some of these other areas in like three years, they lost in the 30 days you know, the amount of soldiers and troops and they don't report, you know, the amount of soldiers and you, you can't say the word war in Russia or you go to jail. You, they're calling it like a situation or a thing. So like, I mean, it's just crazy. Like they, they're, they're saying they'll put people in jail 15 years. If you, they're taking away Instagram, they, they close McDonald's. Coca-Cola is not operating there. Apple, there's no Apple. There's no I have new iPhones or stuff coming. Like they're like 12 grand for an iPhone right now or something. U S dollars. Like, it's the craziest shit ever. I mean, it's literally like, it's an absolute mess over there. So you know, I think Russia also is a lot weaker. So what you're saying is they're making everybody healthy. No
1: Coca-Cola and McDonald's.
0: <laughs> you, saw too. you saw that. Yeah, that's a good one. They're yeah. like,
1: Americans are too fat. Get their fucking poison food out of our country. <laughs> yes.
0: Yeah, so, but there's, there's okay. definitely things happening. I mean, it makes me nervous when you read yeah. headlines like Biden calling for Putin to resign, right? Like that's where you start. This starts getting a little testy, right? You get the guy fired up enough or you, you tell him, you know, words are powerful uh, and it's a bit a bit crazy. It seems I mean, wh- well, let me ask you this, Chimp. Do you see an impact with this war with Bitcoin? I mean, you can't really peg one thing to, to another necessarily. And even at the start of the war, like it's not like Bitcoin was just flourishing. But obviously now, rest. maybe you could put up just like the price chart yeah. okay. in the last week or something. Like I'll do a- the. A normal chart, like pricing, not some crazy graphs and wild shit. Give me like a ticker, like number, dollar value. But, you know, what, what do you think, Chimp, with the war? And, and is there any impact with that?
2: So I was actually surprised, like, and I think this just goes to show more so the market sentiment at the time. But I was surprised, like, people were viewing this as a super bearish thing because it's like all, the entire time I've been in Bitcoin, it's like basically what's like what was going on with this war was like sort of the ideal setup for Bitcoin. And so there was of course like a lot of panic selling that happened the day of that invasion. I think Bitcoin went to 34,300 or something. But to me actually that was a very, like the way that I was viewing it was the market was sort of forming a bottom. And when that invasion happened and then Bitcoin wasn't able to basically print a new low, to me that was basically like okay, uh animals like this is like a pretty clear sign that the market's bottoming. Like if pe- if a, a war invasion wasn't able it wasn't uh, enough to cause enough panic for the market to even break down to a new low, then what's going to make it break down to a new low. And so I don't think it has that big of a direct impact on Bitcoin. Honestly, I actually think maybe this, maybe zooming out a little bit away from like geopolitics. I think a lot of the news that people pay attention to on a day-to-day basis has a lot less of an impact on price action than they imagine. Like people will focus on, Oh, the fed is doing this or, Oh, you know, the, the Fed said this on this particular day, or Putin invaded on this particular day, and so forth. And I, my take is like, if the markets, if the markets overleveraged and the market is sort of weak already, these news events are going to maybe be the catalyst for the ignition to cause it to dump out. But if the market's relatively strong, then maybe these news events cause like a few percent deviation from where the whatever the price is doing. But ultimately, the price is going to go up and. If you, sold because you, like, if you sold because you were worried about the Fed or you were worried about commodity prices going up or you were worried about uh, this invasion, right, now prices are you know, 30, 40% higher than those levels. And so it, it just goes to show that like, a lot of these headlines are sort of meant to, in my opinion, they're much more like just play on people's emotions than they do what's actually going on behind the scenes in terms of the market. I,
1: I, so I've got, I've got a question for you. Uh, about mm-hmm. this price action here. So looking back at this, because yep. I was taken a little bit off off guard, really. Like, why... I mean, when you're, when you're kind of looking back at this, it's almost like, you know, in early November, Bitcoin peaked and had a... F- I mean, it did make an all-time high, but let's call it like a... It kind of failed a, a real breakout of a continuation yep. of just like sending, right? And then, I mean... The sell-off over the next, uh, you know, really it was about just over two months was, I mean, pretty one-sided, like it just kind of dribbled all the way down from 69 to the low thirties, which is, you know, over 50%. I I was a bit surprised, uh, that it, you know, it basically went back and, you know, not quite retesting the lows of the summer, but retested that range for sure, um, But yet, then we get the the war news, and the war doesn't have to be negative. But I mean, nothing has really materially changed, in my opinion, in the last couple months. If the war happened, I don't know why that's, let's say it's not, maybe it's positive. If you could argue that, then now that's why it's turning around. But it's like the Fed is still raising rates. I don't know that the macro economy looks necessarily any better or worse than it did Mm -hmm. you know, three months ago. So I don't know what is your kind of best fit obviously it's easier in hindsight maybe than knowing when it's during the time but now we have hindsight so what is your explanation for maybe like why that sell off was as drastic as it was but like why we're recovering now I don't know give me your give me your take on all that
2: Yeah so so I was like I was I got bearish once we got to like 55, 56 on the way up, actually. And I started noticing signs that the market was getting like starting to get super over-leveraged. And I was just like surprised to what degree this ETF narrative, like people were just like buying into this and and just slamming, like you know, sl- slamming to get more exposure. And so I figured that at some point this leverage was gonna come out and we were gonna probably go back into the 40Ks. Uh, and so once the market topped. Like I I started, I tried to get a little bit cute and play some longs in the mid 50s, which worked out a couple of times. But then I just, I knew that once we broke a certain, like my level, my line in the sand was like 53. And I was like, if we break this, I'm out. And, uh, and so once we had that deleveraging candle, I was like, you know, I thought that the market was going to form a bottom into 40 Ks. I think what I underestimated was the amount of leverage that was still left in like altcoins and other crypto assets that were, weren't Bitcoin. And so, like, yes, like, like I wasn't expecting that 45K break and then going from 45 to 33. Like, I totally missed that. But in hindsight, a lot of altcoins got totally destroyed, which maybe is a healthy thing for the market as a whole. But I totally missed the fact that, okay, there's still a lot of people who are over-leveraged ETH, over-leveraged Solana, over-leveraged, like, you know, there would be, like, random altcoins, like, on that move from 46 to 51, But right before the dump out of 45K, like uh, mid-December, I think, like mid to late December, like sushi was up 100%. Like there was still a lot of froth in some of these other assets, which in hindsight, I guess, was sort of a warning flag. But I think the market definitely oversold. Like, I mean, obviously, given where the price is at now, I think it's pretty clear that the market sold off way too hard. And basically, I think what you were left with was a situation where all the leverage was wiped out of the market. and. You had a lot of people who psychologically knew 30k was cheap for Bitcoin, given it was cheap last January, and given it was cheap sort of in the summer. Yeah. And so you had all these people ready to buy there every time the the price went down. So you had this weird situation where sentiment was really bad, but actually, it uh the the environment to get long Bitcoin was very good. And so I'm not sure why the market sat there for as long as it did. I par- I par- I kind of think it's because like bears were well, well capitalized after a two month downtrend that they could like just short bounces for a much longer time than you would think. But, uh, I think eventually the cash buyers basically pushed the market up. Okay. Hopefully that wasn't like too much of a rant, honestly.
1: (laughs) No, 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 I love it. Yeah. That's what, that's what we want to, that's what we want to bring the people here at big free rants, (laughs) give them what they want. I, I, I personally enjoyed that explanation, so thank you. I hope the viewers at home
0: did as well. Yeah, it was. Yeah, no, I think I think it's 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 very interesting. It's also very interesting to try to predict, you know, the, these different cycles and, and whatever. Like right now, what's your what's your thought? And before we do that, actually, well, give me your price because I like to do this every podcast. So we don't forget. What's your price prediction for Bitcoin and Ethereum, January one, twenty twenty three? Before we talk about, okay, yeah, here we go. We got the chart up right here. We're yeah. looking. We got uh, this range. Well, you can you can man,
1: think while well, yeah. I'm talking through it. We got this I, range.
2: I really oh, no.
1: and go here's ahead, go ahead. we got this range here where we've kind of had earlier. We had a few tests of about thirty, and uh, this last time, whatever thirty-three, the high sixties. But January is all the way out here where I have the thing. So that that's where we're at. So break it down.
2: All right. I'll get if I if I have to give a singular price prediction. And I'll tell you why I don't like giving these, but I'll just say I'll just say the current price is where it's going to be in the end of the year. So let's just say forty-seven thousand five hundred. But the reason I think it's hard to say where it's going to be, like, so the trading that I I do typically I try to look out a few few weeks or so in terms of what's sort of developing. And um, I mean, I should say this: like, at some point, I think there's going to be an emperor has no close moment, and Bitcoin's going to be in, worth well into six figures, if not a lot higher. And so I don't know when that's going to be. So timing that, is that going to be like, you know, November or December of this year? Or is that going to be three years from now? It's hard to say. I think ultimately I'm bullish on the long-term outlook of Bitcoin. Um, in terms of where Bitcoin's going, I mean, maybe this, I mean, the the simplest thing to tell people is, look, every time it gets near 30K, just like back up the truck, basically. Uh, that's probably what you want to do for now, unless there's, some, unless, unless there's some sort of systemic leverage that starts to build up. But my take is like Bitcoin is a little bit of a mind virus where the more people hear about it and especially like younger people as they allocate money towards it, these aren't people who are like allocating money towards it that are just going to sell it the next month, typically speaking. And so I think that like the, the way that I view it is sort of like the neutral price for Bitcoin keeps rising over time. And so I don't know where that neutral price is now, but clearly low thirty k's has been a good place to buy. And if you buy low thirty k's and walk away for five years, I I would almost guarantee that you you end up being a net winner in five years from now. But from a from a price action standpoint, it's a little bit hard to say. If I have to say more shorter time frame, what what's going to happen? This thing probably can go up to let's just say low low to high fifty k's, like let's just say 60k um i think that from a psychological standpoint we like traders are probably still looking at 60k as sort of like okay this is an expensive price for bitcoin and so until that changes you're probably going to still end up getting some sellers there um i know you have like this Do dokuan up running and you know this guy's buying but uh I, w- I would say in terms of like risk reward, your risk reward for getting long was a lot better sub 40K than it is now. And I think that if you're buying here, you have to be open to the fact that we could be sub 40K in like two or three weeks. So yeah, I was a bit all over the place there, but.
1: No, I mean, I, I like it. I mean, first I, you know, I totally agree and subscribe to the exact same kind of take about Bitcoin. I love, love the mind virus idea. I mean, it's a, it's a growing network. I mean, I, I, I have this for a reason, but, you know, here, look, it's growing as a network. If you go and you were to type in a network growth model and like go to math and be like, hey, what's a network growth model? Uh, hold on. It's head. Let me just do with. You no, know, you're going to find. Oh, here we are. Look. I mean, look at this logarithmic growth chart and then look at that. Oh, there we go. <laughs> right i mean it's a network that's growing and it's like young people keep getting in they keep allocating a lot of these people have a very long-term view like most of the people that buy 30 forty they they're not like yeah sure there's some traders but a lot of them are like great it's like their friend convinced them to buy it because in five years it's going to be worth you know six figures and so they're just like throwing some money away and you know there's always people that get checking out or whatever, but for every person that enters, it's like some of them stick and yep. then they're just like holding, right? So it's kind of, you know, and then it's true. And then once Bitcoin moves to a new level, like you look, it moves to a new level. Then there's always people from the previous level from years ago that start selling. Yeah, But even those people at some point, like, you know, and I can say this from a little bit of personal experience, it's not that I'm not going to sell Bitcoin But like once it's been at that level for a while, whatever kind of like you want to make an investment, maybe you're going to use Bitcoin to pay for it. At some point, you're done. So, right, like, for example, you know, I bought a place in Brazil last year, but that's it. I'm done selling five-digit Bitcoin to invest in shit because I believe we're going six digits. I don't know when it's going to be, exact same thing. Maybe it's going to be later this year. Honestly, maybe not. I mean, I gave my price prediction. I thought it was like, high fifties. Cause why? Because I thought we also would most likely in less than a year, I would guess we're still in this current range. Mm-hmm. I would guess we probably don't break it, but who the fuck knows? You know, it's like, that's the thing you can say. I love your analysis when you're like, Oh, Hey, this is a pretty good bottom. Cause cash buyers are s- stepping in. That's much and sometimes much easier to tell in a bit than like the top, like, will it yep. top at 55? Will it top at 60? I don't know. I mean, it's a pretty good guess that it will, but you never really know with Bitcoin, right? I mean, this guy's buying like, what if all of a sudden China started buying Bitcoin? Probably not. But like, if it would, it wouldn't announce it probably to the world, you know? So like, there's just certain things that you, you never know. Like what if another country adopts it just like El Salvador is legal currency? Why in order to let, you know, payments come in uh, basically free to increase money coming into the country or also to attract, you know, investors and, and rich people, from outside of the country, right? What if the spy ETF is approved? What if, you know, there's like a whole bunch of bullish events that can occur. And we've already seen Bitcoin be super resilient during bearish events. I'm not saying there aren't bearish events that could maybe really cause some shit to happen, but most bearish events, Bitcoin's very resilient, right? So it's kind of just like a waiting game, especially with how murky, in my opinion, the, the global macro could be, you know, with rates and all this for the next couple of years as it's sort of tied to the S&P, but that's basically like a boiler top. And the longer we kind of like boiling pot, I feel like the longer we stay in this range, the more and more people are going to, it's like the coins are transferring from people that for whatever reason are selling here, their traders are like long-term holders who are selling to like, cause they have a lot more money now and are using it for whatever reason they're using it for to people buying at that range who, like you said, caught the mind virus and are now holding for the six digits. They have no interest in selling here. And then once, some bullish event comes boom, but it's it's like when you know i I agree I don't know you don't know who knows
2: yeah and I think for that reason it's easier for most people to be just just be investors more so than traders um let's see I add a couple of different thoughts here, but uh the one thing I was gonna say also, just from a trading standpoint. Uh, there's something else i want to talk about now i'm like totally forgetting about it when it c- comes to this but uh, oh i was gonna say this first I, you know you made that point like is it you know is it gonna top at 55 or is it gonna top at 60 i think typically speaking and i spoke to light about this in 2019 it's typically easier to call bottoms than it is to call tops because with bottoms it's pretty clear like someone's run like traders are generally speaking running out of coins to sell or like you know your weak hands are running out of coins to sell and you you know, it's that force coming up against an increasingly large, like, cash buy wall that's ready to absorb those coins. And so there's only so many coins that are going to be sold before the, that cash buy wall absorbs it all. And on the flip side, but then on the flip side, like, as we're going up, you could get animal spirits, you could get people's, like, greed instincts kicking in, which is sort of what happened at that 69K top, where people start to over leverage and start to overexpose themselves because of, you know, their animal spirits or their, like... Uh, Basically greed, uh, but eventually you get some sort of paradigm shift. Like in this in in twenty twenty, you got the COVID money printer and and whatnot, and then boom, Bitcoin just teleports to a new range. But uh, I, I was going to say also like from a trader trading standpoint, and I think investors like should think about like for you know I was talking to a lot of people, and I noticed a lot of people get really excited when Bitcoin goes up, and you know really sad when it goes down. And from my perspective, like when people are trading, they're sort of like, I heard this said about something totally different, but I realized it's sort of, you could sort of translate it over to crypto, which is like, there's sort of two religions when it comes to crypto trading. There's one, which is this religion of momentum investing, and you need some sort of confirmation signal. And there's another one, which is like value investing, which is like, I think I heard this in this context of growth stocks versus value investors. And it's the same thing when it comes to Bitcoin. It's like there's like mean reversion traders and then there's momentum traders. And I think generally speaking, people would be a lot more successful if they viewed this market from a mean reversion standpoint. It's like okay, Bitcoin goes to 30 35k, it's on a fire sale, right? It's like you go to it's like you go to Walmart and your favorite bike is 50% off. Like you're probably just going to buy it on the spot. But I think people's emotions and being super linked to the to the, like the price of Bitcoin makes them feel like despair instead of like, okay, maybe, you know, th- this kind of sucks as my portfolio went down in dollar terms, but maybe it's time for me to actually just like back up the truck and, and buy here. Um, so, yeah. I, yeah,
1: that's what, I mean, I get asked, you know, by, by people who know a lot less about crypto and the biggest thing I tell people who want more, you know, first I tell them like buy Bitcoin, go buy crypto, <laughs> right? I'm, yeah, I'm sure you're on yeah. the same tree as me. Because it's like, unless you're going to spend your time, like at least like part time, 20 hours a week, like researching projects and getting super deep in the weeds and whatever. It's just like Bitcoin, you know, you're not going to thousand X your money. You're not even going to hundred X your money at this point, but you're have the very, it's like people don't understand from a Kelly criteria standpoint, like having the best odds of like 10 X plusing your money is fucking huge. Right? Yeah. Kelly wants you to buy Bitcoin. So <laughs> it's it, it, it's kind of like it doesn't want you to like go listen to the YouTube video and buy some like fucking crazy coin project or whatever. Yeah. Hoping that you, you know, you have the next like Shiba Inu or whatever the fuck coin is going to blow up. But the biggest thing I tell people is, you know, OK, if, if you want no thought at all, you could just like DCA some. But the other thing is you just wait and there's going to be some sort of dip. And if it goes down 20%, buy some, if it goes down 40 percent, buy double or triple what you would normally buy and then you know and so just like have some cash sitting around to just load up when it goes down with the idea that right like if you put 10,000 you know you put 20,000 into Bitcoin. If it's you know 40,000, you get half a coin. If it's 60,000, you get a third of a coin. If Bitcoin's a hundred thousand that half a coin is 50 instead of, you know, 33K. So, in the, you know, you make a lot more money in the long run if you're just buying and holding.
2: But yeah. Yeah, I think it's also like, the reason a lot of people play these shit coins is because your potential like payoff is a lot higher, right? I mean, if you buy a lotto ticket, your potential yeah. payoff is like millions to one, but it, but the EV is just not there. And I think it's the same thing can apply to crypt, like Bitcoin versus, oh, let me buy crypto or let me buy NFTs is like, sure, you could you know, you could bink the, the next Shiba Inu and, and get make 100X or 1,000X or whatever, but the reality of the situation is you pr- the odds are much more likely you're just selling into, or you're just buying into, like, a VC sell wall who's just, like, exiting on you, right? Like, there's that Chamath uh, interview where he's, like, talking about how he's, like, sort of selling a Solana at 240. Uh, <laughs> so, and uh, I, I sort of think, like, the one thing that 20... This is, like, the one critique, I guess I have, which is like, also is, I think a lot of investors who got in, so in 2017 or 2018, everything was sort of Bitcoin pairs, right? It's like, you're trading ETH, BTC, you're trading, you're trading everything in Bitcoin pairs. And to even trade on leverage, you need to buy into Bitcoin. Like you need to have, you need to go and buy your Bitcoin and send it to BitMEX. So like, there's an initial buy-in of like, okay, let me learn how to use the Bitcoin network okay, I need to buy it. Maybe I send it to this offline wallet. Maybe I send that to BitMEX. I feel like the one thing that's slowed uh, adoption or maybe caused prices to stay here or may cause prices to stay here longer than anticipated is a lot of sort of your retail investors or or people who have entered this space are like USD maximalists or like they're just trying to make more US dollars. And so as a result, like, if all those traders all of a sudden went in and just market bought Bitcoin, I'm sure the price would be trading over 60K right now. But because of that, you're probably having more opportun- more visits to the downside or deeper visits to the downside as a result.
1: Hmm. I like that. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, hmm. maybe, maybe like an extension of that is that yeah, some of these global situations playing out are actually sort of sort of bullish as they create incentive for this like permissionless, like non-centralized monetary network, right? Yep. It's not controlled anywhere. And it's like the more these these things play out, the more kind of demand there will start to be. Maybe not immediately for people within the US, but yes, for people in other countries. And as it just kind of keeps sliding. Yeah, no, I like that.
0: And so I get so. And let's give me. You know, you you said you focus on a couple week prediction. Where I mean, this is obviously exciting for it to move like this, get back to a pretty healthy number. What are your thoughts coming up here in the next month, say April, tax season? People are paying their taxes. It right? is tax season. Yeah.
2: Well, that that is a good point, and I'm sure there's some people who are selling as a result of that. I'm not sure how this plays out. Like this could go up another twenty percent from here up to high fifty k's. I would imagine just from a psychological standpoint people are ready to sell if this thing gets anywhere near 60K. Like there's enough people ready to sell if this gets near 60K. Um, and, but uh, look, even if it goes down, I think the, the sort of neutral or floor price is increasing. So like people people from Jan- uh, July, August sort of had 28, 29K in their mind in terms of like, okay, this is sort of like, this is where I want to be buying. And you look at what happened more recently and that level all got front ran. Because, you know, what's the difference between buying Bitcoin at 28K versus 33K when you think it's ultimately going to go to like six, seven, eight figures? And so I'm not sure how this plays out. Maybe animal spirits come in and, uh, like, I've taken all my margin uh, long um, positioning off the table. Like, I'm just riding spot. But, uh, in terms of like animal spirits, you might have retail hop back in. You might have people hop back in who want to put on some leverage exposure and that might push the market up to, let's just say even 60 K. But you like, maybe the best way of putting it is this thing could go, this thing could go under 40 K. This thing could go plus or minus 20% here. Maybe it's probably more likely that it goes up 20% and then down like 30%. But it's, it's hard to say like in terms of, in terms of a price prediction, I guess it's always, it's hard to always have one. Sometimes, it's more clear what's going on. Like in the 30 K bottom, I was pretty sure we were bottoming there. And so I just like kept longing every time the market went down here. It's a little bit more, you know, basically the market went up here and squeezed a bunch of shorts. So one of the people, one of the buy fact, like one of the people who's one of the parties that are going to be buyers are people who are short and end up becoming forced buyers. And so that party is largely gone. And now you're left sort of with this like Doquan TWAP that's buying 125 yeah, the, the Luna 000. guy. Yep.
1: Just why don't you tell why don't you tell people? Because there's probably a lot of people who are listening to this who don't know, but who who he is, how much he's buying, whatever. It's the Luna guy.
2: Yeah. So people other people probably know way more than me. As far as as much as I know, the as far as I know, the Luna guy is basically just buying like one twenty five million dollars, one hundred twenty five million dollars of Bitcoin a day. And uh I'm not actually sure that his purchase itself has a big impact as big of an impact on the market as like the animal spirits that come in surrounding the purchase. So it's like, if you look at the first purchase he had, the market sort of sold for like two, two, you know, for one or two days. And then like, increasingly the market has been basically like going up at a faster and faster clip because more and more people are gaining confidence that like, Hey, we have this guy, you know, we have like the wind behind our back. And we have this guy behind us. So let's let's get the animal spirits going. And then you have people who like trade breakouts. So now, oh, we broke out above 46. It's time to time to time to you know add margin and add leverage. So I don't think that those people eventually end up winning. I, I, I think whenever you have a rally that's based on animal spirits or sort of riding these things, it's gonna be hard to sustain by itself. So, but who knows how long this thing continues. Maybe this thing, maybe this pushes up, like I said, 10K and then suddenly washes everyone out and drops back to 44. So it's hard to exactly say, but I certainly think the easy part of the move was done, which was cash buyers willing, willing to step in at like sub 40K and just absorb every time the market went there. When
1: did he start buying the, do you know?
2: Yeah, he started buying on the, when we went from like uh, the candle right after that, I think. This one? Yeah.
1: All right. So like March 22nd. So it's been, it's been about a week. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, uh, up only, only green candles yep, uh, yep. since that day. But, yeah. If uh, you go
2: to like, if if you want to just see, cause I think market psychology has a decent amount, like is an interesting thing to think about. Like if you go to like a four hour chart or something, uh, You can actually see the first time he did this T-WOP, like people were first like in denial that he was going to buy. And you can see like when he did his first purchase. um,
1: it's right around here. There you
2: go. Yeah. Like you can see the market actually consolidated for quite a while after that. I think it consolidated for like two days before moving up. And you can see that like, as people start to get more excited and, and start to, uh, I guess, believe in this more. So it's been going up at an accelerated clip. And what that's the,
0: what's, like, the, what's the story behind this? Why is he doing this or what's happening?
2: Um, I'm actually not sure what the reasoning is. I think it's something to do with I, I have no idea what goes on with altcoins. So something, something reserves. Brian, you probably know more than me, actually.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I haven't been following this. I it's I my understanding it's uh, the guy, the Luna founder, is basically turning a lot of their reserves into Bitcoin. So, like maybe as opposed to holding like U, US dollar. You know, USDC or US dollar tether. Uh, he's he's holding Bitcoin, and that'll be like the collateral involved part, like a big part of the collateral within the Luna network. So, in in other words, it'll be like more Bitcoin collateralized than than US dollar collateralized, something like that. But but uh, that isn't necessarily. Uh, I
2: think the, the important thing is just that he's buying. That's probably the yeah. most important. Jim, let me ask you as it's well. The reserve Before, wallet
1: the reserve wallet now has 1.1 billion in BTC as of two yep. days ago.
0: Chimp, what is your prediction on the, the actual creator or creators or government or what who created Bitcoin? Do you have a guess do you, Does you get interested in any of that sort of folklore tales? Is it, are you in the history? You know Do you go in the deep, dark rabbit holes of, of this or do you not really know or care? I a mean, it's
2: like, a, it's like a curiosity, I guess, but I don't really go down the rabbit holes that much. And I think the nice thing about Bitcoin is you don't need to go down the rabbit holes because who made it ultimately doesn't matter. Right. Then the fact that the network is resilient to any sort of founder or anything like that, I think just goes to show that goes to show the. um The strength of Bitcoin. As well, sort give,
0: of- give, me, give me like give me a multiple choice, A, B, C, D. Or give me a, a couple options. What do you think is the most realistic? If you had to guess, just a guess. Do you, do you even have one?
2: Like who created Bitcoin? Yeah, I, mean, yeah, I, like, I mean, if yeah. I had to guess, it's like maybe one or one or two people who are just like really into computer security and uh, came up with something, and it just happened to work. But I, your guess is as good as mine, honestly.
0: Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. And the other question we were talking about tax day coming up. It, this is a bit. In poker, it's always a bit tricky, right? Because you win for the year, but then you could lose to start the next year and you don't get a rebate. And And it seems a bit overwhelming. I did actually see DeSantis, I think, said he would, uh, Florida is going to be taking Bitcoin. You can pay taxes with Bitcoin or some version of that. I don't know if you saw that. And maybe other parts of the U.S. or ways you can do that. But what what is your take on the Bitcoin sort of accounting where you know, technically if you receive it and send it, you're supposed to track and log and it gets a bit cumbersome, uh, overwhelming, right? If you're doing transactions back and forth and what amount you got and were you up or down on every single one, what are your thoughts on all of the taxing and, and the Bitcoin current state? Uh,
2: I guess maybe the only thing I can say there is people should talk to someone who's an actual professional when it comes to taxes in their country or jurisdiction and uh, certainly not listen to a, a, someone who's a... a a gecko avatar on Twitter when it comes to, that, to those <laughs> types of things.
0: Fair enough. All right. That seems like a, a good answer, but uh, it does seem a bit, it does seem like at least, I mean, the fact that major you know, states or cities and 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 people are coming out and they're saying they're this is like a way to pay your taxes. I mean, that's pretty wild, right? That seems like. Dude,
1: that wild. would be sweet if <laughs> you could start paying your US federal taxes with Bitcoin. I imagine they're not going to do that because one of the, biggest demands for U.S. dollars within the U.S. is paying your federal taxes. But as, as if you own Bitcoin, being able to not create a taxable event by shipping them Bitcoin, maybe instead of whatever the fuck you have to do every year to pay your taxes, which usually creates... It's the funny thing about taxes. It's like paying your taxes generally involves doing something that basically creates income. So you're like paying taxes on the money you paid taxes with. It's like a never ending fucking <laughs> cycle. It's beautiful. The, the fucking scam the government has going on. But uh, <laughs> like just being able to, if you own Bitcoin, shipping a Bitcoin, and if that is not a taxable event, I don't know whether that would be the case or not, but that would be fucking beautiful. I don't know. You, you live in Miami. So if you pay your state in taxes or whatever with Bitcoin, is that, no taxable so event. You I, just ship them. I, here's
0: the thing. I got sent this like via a mutual friend of ours in the last yeah. week or so. So I am not up to speed. Um, honestly, it gives a lot of anxiety, that type of stuff, right? Like just understanding, you know, <laughs> you know just, it's almost like, a, it seems like a trap, right? They're <laughs> like telling you, oh yeah, <laughs> pay your thing with this. And then, you know, and then you're like, whatever. So who knows, man? I don't know. I'm just curious. Cause it's, uh, it's interesting, but it does seem like, does seem like there's been some major news Um, And also another thing I wanted to kind of hit on, which I thought was interesting and one of the, I forget who exactly, but he's definitely a pioneer. One of the more respected people in the crypto was talking about the Holocaust and like, imagine being in you know Nazi Germany in the forties, right? And being able to just take your Bitcoin or your money and and leave. And now you mentioned like with the war, you know, this is actually happening. I have friends that are in Russia. I've gotten messages like, Hey, we're coming or people want to move. Like, can you help blah, blah, blah. I've seen it in chat groups. I've seen other stuff. And also I've heard there's huge lines in Russia to get money out of the bank and limits and stuff, right? Or Ukraine. So, you know, to your point, this is kind of an exact example of if you did need to flee and, and be a refugee or just move quickly, you can't take your diamonds, your gold, just the same same of thing, right? But now there's actually a modern day solution where you could hypothetically move most of your your net worth or you know quickly easily and with the transaction and get it somewhere else when you come, which is pretty crazy. And you know it's it's too bad that in the modern day we're having these type of tragedies and and situations and wars are being talked about or not. But I think that's just another spot on example. And we're seeing that in in the moment that this is happening. Um,
2: Yeah. If I remember correctly, actually like didn't uh, Bitcoin had two big pumps in 2012 and 2013 on like the Greek banking crisis and the Cyprus. uh, I forgot exactly what happened in Cyprus, but um, yeah, I think like, if you're sort of in a first world country, these are things you don't think about on a day to day basis, but then when they happen, then you realize sort of the importance of having this ability to at least take some of your wealth and and get out of that country um, even if it's not much, getting out with like ten thousand dollars is so much better than getting out with zero dollars right hundred percent
1: this is a this is a use case that i i is in my Bitcoin paper as to why you should buy it. Listen, if you're super wealthy and you live. Anywhere, but especially in an authoritarian government, I'm talking to you people that are listening to this podcast in China and Russia and wherever else, if you don't have like a million dollars or whatever, however much that is in rupees or you know, I, I'm not gonna get the country. I think you the should Chinese go Chinese instead of a dollar amount. You need like a percentage of your network. You need you need just like you know, two percent, five percent. I mean, whatever. You just need it on a, a Trezor or a USB device, it's just somewhere safe. And if you need to get the fuck out of Dodge, guess what? You can. And you can take a significant amount of money with you, like in your pocket and access it from a computer and anywhere around the world, transfer that into whatever you need to live with. It's like such the biggest no brainer of all time, like best sort of like emergency savings account ever.
0: So there it is. There it is. All right. On a T. Beautiful. Uh, very, very well said, Rasty. And and Chimp, so you're you. What is your poker these days? Are you, are you fully, I mean, are you just, this is like, you're immersed. Do you ever get to play for fun live or online ever? Does it even, does it? Not even? really,
2: honestly, uh, to be honest, like for poker, for the most part, I'm, I wouldn't say I'm over it, but it's like the crypt, like when I get passionate about something, that's what I put a lot of my focus into. And so 2014, 2015, 2016, 2017, I was like, you know, studying poker, basically like that was sort of on my mind. Like first thing I'd go to sleep or last thing I'd go to sleep was thinking about poker. First thing I'd wake up thinking about poker. And I guess now that I've been trading crypto markets, one, I, you know, I think that you can make just as good gains, if not more in crypto markets, if you know what you're doing, at least from the, relative to the games that I was playing. And like two, I know that as a, like, you know, I play PLO. I know, for example, that you have a bunch of kids. Though Actually, I don't know how many like young crushers there are nowadays but there's people who have been studying solvers for like my skills have gotten worse over the last few years and I know the elite players have gotten way better and I I don't want to play poker at like a mediocre level so if I was going to go play poker I'd want to play at like you know as at a somewhat like uh, elite level like maybe I'm not as good as some of the top PLO crushers but I'd like to at least be you know be you able to, to hold my like,
0: own you don't want to feel like you're getting you're, you're, you're outclassed like where you're just getting worked out and they're in there and you're guessing yeah no makes right sense it's, so not it's, fun. Like, it's not a fun thing to be here it's not fun to be a mediocre trader or a mediocre poker player right you don't want to be in there just kind of like taking it you want to, yeah, you, want to do, you want to do you want to be on the top
2: yeah exactly. what, are,
1: what
0: are a couple uh
1: chimp zoo takeaways for fans at home about like if you're just going to break down and give a, uh, a couple tips for someone who is, say, thinking about trading, even though, listen, it's already been recommended that if you want to get involved, you just buy, hold the Bitcoin, be an investor. But there are going to be people that want to trade. So what are a few takeaways that like uh, you would say as someone who, you know, has been in the been in the weeds, been in the in the bunker for a long time? had up and downs, but overall, uh, you know, had a lot of success trading and what have you learned? What can you share with them?
2: I think the first thing you have to come into knowing is you're coming in with an information disadvantage. Like if you're coming into trading, you're coming in with a big information disadvantage. And so your goal has to be sort of close that. And so my friend and I talk a lot about this, which is there's, there's no replacement for screen time, just sitting there reading Twitter, going through discord groups and, uh, thinking about the market. Maybe I should, I should say a couple things before I even go into like the trading aspect, I should say from an emotional control standpoint, like you have to ask yourself, like, are you going to be able to handle losses or wins in a big way? And like, are you trading? I feel like this is the same thing with poker. Like I never gone to poker to make, to make money, to improve my life. Like I live a pretty simple lifestyle and I'm same thing with trading. It's like, Are you getting into it because you really enjoy it and you can put in 12 or 16 hours a day if you need to. And so I would tell people like just from a passion standpoint, first, make sure you have the passion. Then from an emotional standpoint, make sure you can handle the the ups and downs, right? Like if you take a beating, can you take a day or two off and come back with an objective uh, view of the markets? And but then from a trading standpoint, I would tell people, look, like there's you're going to have to put in a lot of time and you're going to have to sift through a lot of noise. So like, maybe you watch them. And I would also say this, like in terms of actual applicable information, a lot of the best traders actually have like very little visibility um, in terms of people I talk to. So you're going to have to be looking for smaller Twitter accounts that are post that are more openly posting information. Right. I think the trap that a lot of people fall into is they'll just go follow the biggest Twitter accounts and that's actually, in my opinion, a mistake. You want to be following everyone, reading what people are saying, and be critical about what they're saying and see if it makes sense. It also helps to have someone like to talk to who's been in the markets for a few more years and has sort of that memory of how things played out so you can sort of bounce ideas off of them. But uh, I guess just go in knowing that it's an uphill battle. And uh, look, any, anyone can make it trading, but it's going to take a lot of effort. Uh, that's, that's my personal opinion.
0: Makes makes yeah. a ton of sense. Random thought before I forget, Will Smith smacks uh rock <laughs> at the at the at the thing. We gotta talk about it. It's a current event. We want to let people know in this podcast, you know, it'll probably air in the next couple of days. Uh for us, what what are your thoughts on that? I'm sure you saw it. The memes are everywhere. I mean, this might be the most one of the more iconic moments in history of television. It definitely wasn't staged, um, in my opinion. At least did you see it? And give me your I,
2: I did see it. O- honestly, uh Well, I'll say this from, from an emotional control standpoint, you definitely don't want to have that level of emotional or lack of emotional control when it comes to trading, Uh, you know, but uh, (laughs) uh, in terms of uh, his technique, maybe he should like sign up for a boxing gym or, you know, train a little bit more, but.
0: uh, Yeah. Lucky he didn't. He might have knocked him out. I mean, Chris Rock (laughs) pretty well, but it was a snap. It was honestly, if you look it's pretty crazy. You know, the crazy thing is I went over to his Instagram and I looked at it like I, I someone I saw it and then I like was going to sleep. Don't watch the Oscars. It's pretty boring. They really lost. You know, it's not like a, at least in my opinion. you know, it's not something I like, look forward to even know what's going on. But like when that happened, it was so wild. And then I saw his Instagram and it was like his his ta- his like line for the night. It was like him and his wife. And he was like, I and tonight we choose chaos. Like, they were, like, doing <laughs> a fun little thing. And then they, you know, like, broke into the distance and just fucking went nuts. And then, I mean, it was wild. Like, I, I, I can't imagine being there. They Actually, there was a funny thing where they showed, because they have, like, cameras on all the people, the major stars. So, like, they got the footage and they, like, showed everyone's reaction to, like, when he did that. And, like, it was wild, you know? It was yeah. weird. He was, like, s- sort of laughed at the joke, I guess.
1: And then he, like, noticed his wife didn't like it. And then he <laughs> then he was like, "Oh fuck, gotta do something." <laughs> like, and then I guess he came up with that, which was like a pretty wild. I
0: mean, the, the thing, yeah, is, you know, he's, I, uh, I've read
1: people's analysis that they most people who analyze it say they don't think it's fake for like X, Y, Z reasons, whatever. Like his voice, like the second time he said, "My wife's name out of your fucking mouth," and and everything. But yeah, I don't know. It's not the fake. way Chris Rock it. Yeah, it wasn't, right? I mean it's not. And like staged. his wife
0: has that thing with the alopecia or whatever. So like it's sensitive. Uh, you know? Like if you wouldn't like this is you know, this would be like the funny part is like if it just like didn't do anything, it would just blow right over and whatever. <laughs> but like now it's like literally the most talked about That's definitely gonna be some
1: cool memes out of that.
0: <laughs> well, oh, are gonna I come I by I him slapping divers, Chris like, <laughs> well. everybody. It's just it's 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 really over the top. But yeah, I was just curious but, if yeah. um
2: I'll say this much. At least, at least he was the one giving the slap and not receiving it. (laughs) Yeah. You know, yeah. I I also know Chimp, Chimp, who,
1: you know, we've talked quite a bit. I do follow Chimp on Twitter. Uh, you're, you, you know, actually right before this interview, I'm still in, I didn't even have time. I, I did a boxing workout. I know you do boxing. I also know you follow the UFC. Yep. Do you have any, do you bet on the UFC or do you just watch?
2: Uh, sometimes I will bet on it actually. And I am okay. actually up betting on it. I feel like some of the lines are like, sometimes can be pretty absurd, but I don't I'm, know. That's- I'm
1: I'm in this same, same group as you. Do you have, so just keeping it to the big ones, like we got a couple champ, champ fights coming up, actually the next card, right? Uh, I believe, yep. uh, here we'll, we'll come over here. I have this already. Oh, just,
0: you just <laughs> so happen to have,
1: I just haven't had this up. We got Al Jermaine, and Jan we got uh, Volkanovsky defending, and then we even that. have the third... Oh, yeah, control. There we go. Oh, I, I remember. All right. And then even we have Kamzat Shemaev fucking fighting Gilbert Burns. I don't know if you know the lines. I mean, do you have any bets on any of these or anything else coming
2: up? I don't have any bets. I uh, Like, for the Yon fight, I don't see how Yan really loses that fight. Like Yon just is like an animal, in my opinion. Uh. He's definitely it, the
1: best in the division.
2: I yeah, agree. there's no doubt about it. Honestly, he, he's just so technical. It's it's unbelievable. Like it's me, it, like, I love watching him fight. I yeah. Let me
1: present the I love watching on fight. He's awesome. I his he's got that dirty boxing. He's tough. He goes all five rounds. He he adapts to his opponent. He's mm-hmm. the best in the division. Let me give the um Man, fuck me. I can't think of the name. But you know, let me let me give like the counterpoint as to why you might take Sterling in this. Okay. The Vig Free line is 400.
2: So is that a
1: plug for Vig Free? Ras, do we have a sports book? Yeah, we we got the
2: pinnacle lineup right here. Okay. That's actually insane that the odds move that much. Actually, I didn't know I didn't realize that. Yeah. So I mean, that's steep. Do I think
1: Jan wins this fight most of the time? Yes. You know, at 4-1, to one, you're starting to talk, you know, can Sterling win the fight 20% of the time? You know, I mean, Sterling's one of the top fighters in the division. I mean, Sandhagen, who, mm-hmm. you know, went five rounds with Jan. Jan won, but, yep. you know, it was a competitive-ish fight. You know, Jan won, but it's not like Sandhagen just got black, He didn't get finished. You know, Sterling submitted him, and Sterling is real slick with submissions. Yep. You know, I think it's something where if Sterling wraps him up especially early when they're not sweaty could he submit him yeah if it's going five rounds Jan's probably winning it like way more than 80 percent of the times it goes to the judges but you know could Sterling with some of his he's got like some in and out like really range striking mm-hmm. uh he's and his submissions are pretty slick I'm starting to be like yeah maybe I I don't know I don't have a strong opinion but it's also one of those things when you're betting it's like kind of annoying to be like, oh uh, it, it's like the, the bets I love. High. Yeah, the bets I love is when you're like, oh hey, this guy is like minus 180, but I really think he's you know like a three or four to one favorite or whatever. Mm. Those bets are great. The bets yep. where it's like, oh, you're getting plus four hundred, maybe he's actually, <laughs> you know, maybe it's actually only should be like two fifty. I mean, you're still losing that bet most of the time. Yeah. Right? Yep. So but yeah, I don't know. I I'm if I had to pick at 400, I think i take Sterling, but it's not because I don't think Jan's a beast. It's just, it's a lot.
2: Yeah, I, I would imagine if Sterling wins, it's by submission or he catches him early. Like, he caught Sandhagen, like, super early in that fight, right? <laughs> Wrapped and him
1: up break. and submitted yeah. him in the first round, yeah. Yep. So. The, the other fight that's on that, which, by the way, I wanted to bring up because, to me, this is actually the most exciting fight on the card because it's like, mm-hmm. how can you not be excited about Kamzad Chimaev? And even I can't even, I love digesting his content with Darren Till. I'm such a fish, but like, uh, they're making all these videos together. The smash bros. Oh yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. But um, I don't know know about that line. Like, I like, do you see this here? Do you see this? Yeah. It's like, I feel like, like Burns is probably his toughest competition in that division because he actually right off of his back. Right. Like.
0: Let's at least see the numbers, what we got here.
1: I mean, the Vig Free line here is probably about 450. So it's, it's, it's saying it's something like Burns is 18% to win the fight at Vig Free. So you know that I remember, but when Usman fought Burns, Usman, we're talking the number one, at least by the UFC, pound for pound right now, the guy, the multi defending champ of mm-hmm. that division. He was, I think he, Vig Free was like 280. It wasn't more than like 300. So they're basically saying Kamzat Chemayev is significantly more likely to beat Gilbert Burns than Usman. And this is his first time fighting like a really good guy. So I don't know. Like I kind of want to take Burns. The lines actually keeps going. People keep betting Kamzat because it wasn't – it was like under 400.
2: I Uh, I actually – yeah, you know, sorry for cutting out. I was gonna say, I yeah. actually think you get this situation that happens with uh, with MMA betting, where you have like a lot of hype betting that comes in on these people who are like on yeah. a streak or have like, yeah, like on a streak or have a big name behind them. Like uh, in this case, Hamzat's like obviously has a has a lot of this reputation riding behind him. And look, maybe he is like he probably is the favorite in this fight, but you probably have a lot of people who are just like, oh, I like Hamzat. Let me just put a bet on him.
1: Yeah. Yeah, even though you would think once you start laying that kind of juice, people are just like, What? How much am I gonna win? Laying six to one. Like, I bet I bet my hundred bucks I get uh like fifteen dollars. <laughs> but um yeah, I don't know. To me, that just strikes me. The thing is, I know I'm gonna bet Gilbert Burns on this one, getting my, you know, I might even just lay the juice in the book because I already said in a Vig Free chat, I want him Vig Free. I haven't gotten it. Now the line's gotten worse. Maybe I just take it. I'm sure Kamzach is going to fucking finish him in the first round, and I'm going to look stupid. But you know, I just, <laughs> it just seems ridiculous. Like,
0: I mean, the guy's already better than Newsman, so I don't know. Maybe he is. Do you go to fights, Chimp? You like? Are you like real into it? Do you go? Do you follow it most of the time? You watch it.
2: So, so I, I almost always try to watch uh, watch the fights, but uh, I the, the first time, the first fight I actually went to was UFC 272, uh, the early March. <laughs> so I, I was there just for a night and I went to the fights and it was pretty cool. Though, I don't know if you guys have been to the fights. I actually kind of like it more with the commentary, like watching it at home, because I can also do some other stuff in the meantime. Whereas at the fights, it was like, I almost felt like it was less engaging a little bit, though I don't know what you guys think if you've been to the fights. have you you been
1: to an official like pay-per-view card jeff you have yeah mcgregor could be that's a fucking mcgregor (laughs)
0: that's a good one that's it though that one i mean
1: that was like an all-time i mean not only was that the most views but there was that fucking chaos yeah i remember now with the Coons story you were there with him
0: yeah yeah so yeah i like it i'm into it i don't know it as well as you guys at all but i like it It's, it's it's no wonder it's great it's growing so fast how is the is there like how is the betting? Is there is there ever talks of? I mean, especially in some of the other not the main cards, maybe. But is there like thoughts people throw them? Also, the officiating sometimes a bit of a tough, right? The scoring people don't agree with always. Tell me a little bit about that because that's something I don't really know much about, right? Is that is that something that's talked about? Like the the do people throw matches? Is that is that ever been?
2: Oh, I don't path? think people are. I think that's pretty unlikely. If someone's into UFC, that they're just going to throw a match. I don't know if you, Brian, if you disagree with that, but... I mean, I would I say this. I haven't heard anything. The A
1: lot of UFC fighters aren't paid very much. So <laughs> the potential could definitely be there. I mean, some of these guys are on like 10 and 10 or 12 and 12. I mean, you throw a hundred ball their way or 200, you know, they, they, <laughs> there's got to be some guys who would consider it, right? So, uh but I haven't heard anything. I mean, who knows, right?
0: And what about the what about the judging? Because like the judging, sometimes there's some, seems like some outrage with that. Is that just the nature of it? That there's going to be some close calls and scorings and that's how it goes? What do
2: you I think feel, about I the like, judging? I feel like it's not as bad as people. I mean, the judging sometimes is bad, but I don't think it's as bad for the most part as people think.
0: I was going to say the same thing. That's what I'm I, I don't know. I've just heard whispers of I it. I think right?
2: in boxing, it's like more egregious. If anything, like that Canelo versus Triple G fight, the first one where it was like 118 uh, 110 Canelo. That was like the most ridiculous card I've heard in my life. But I don't feel like it's that bad in the UFC actually.
1: Yeah, I, I think that it's not that there's never fuck ups. But my opinion is that pff, I, there aren't that many robberies, really. Yeah, I mean. There's some fights that were close that, you know, I might disagree, but I think it's maybe reasonable. Like I can see it every once in a while you get a scorecard that's unreasonable, but it's it's not like too bad. And I think it's, you know, in chats where definitely there are people that complain or whatever or following on like Sure Dog or something like that. I think it gets blown up by by other people like more than it actually is bad. I was going to say the same thing you did. I agree, champ
2: yeah i don't think it's very rare that i watch a fight and i'm like this guy clearly won and then he gets robbed like it's almost always i'm like you know i could see it i think this guy won but i could see it going either way and then it's like okay it's a split decision for the other guy and i'm like okay i'm like i'm not upset about it upset by it
0: what is it three judges and like are they just watching the fight and like scoring as they go is that how it works yeah 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 okay Fair enough. And before I don't, I want to ask about this NFT stuff. We got to talk about NFTs, and we can keep on UFC. We'll keep it on topic because I know Rast. Oh, we can,
1: we, keep, we can keep, we can keep moving on. I'm good. I had enough. This, yeah, enough Jeff. UFC. Right. Rast
0: loves UFC. I'm not angry. we have to change big free. Dude, at UFC. Honestly, uh,
2: I'll say this much: it's like the only sport I really watch nowadays. It's just yeah. I, I don't watch NBA. I don't watch NFL for the most part. Yeah.
0: Like well, so not watch for the most part i'll put it in the middle then
2: hold on
1: before we move to nfts one of the things i'm thinking about doing going forward for vig free which you know this is it we're gonna have jeff like he's walking in and out he maybe he's like leaving (laughs) but do like pre and not for the fight nights because i do watch the fight night stuff now but i'm I'm not going to do it but before the cards (laughs) like actually do like uh man let's talk about this card what are the bets what are we doing so like 273 is coming up we got these fights, you know, maybe Chip, maybe you're going to be one of the guys. We'll just like run it back and we'll talk UFC and who we're betting. You know, we're not professional UFC betters, but like the man said, he's won some. He's a smart gambler. He understands risk versus Rest. reward. I don't
0: think you're going to be watching this one this weekend. Oh, it's not this weekend. It's Trust not this weekend. me, I'm watching it. I made
1: sure I planned that I will be back from the commentary gig in time To watch on April 9th. I'm fucking not missing this one. Gilbert Burns and Kamzat Shimayev. I am hyped, man. We're fucking doing it. Let's go. I'm going to have my money on Gilbert Burns. And I just like, I won't be that upset when Kamzat fucking starches him and he still has only one strike landed against the motherfucker. Does it against Gilbert Burns? How? But I've got to take the 450, bro. Let's go.
0: All right. Well, there it is. I love All right. It. So well, we're
1: moving. We're moving on. Though. Well, it's we're even a segue,
0: Ras. I'm not going to full, fully pull you away. because <laughs> I'm going to segue it with NFTs in UFC. It looked like there was some NFTs maybe with the, the uh, Dapper Labs or, you know, who is this? The um, NBA Top Shot, same kind of lads that put the UFC on and which actually for UFC, you know, moments, right? Like knockout clips, it kind of makes more sense than a lot of things, I think, even. But um, there's some debate about how much the people are getting paid, the percentage to the fighters, this and that. Do you have any thoughts, Chimp, on that? Are you, and, and then we'll sort of talk about NFTs as a whole.
2: Mm, I don't have any opinions on the UFC NFTs. I, I know those those exist, but I, I have no opinion on those in particular. I mean, I can to give you my thoughts on NFTs as a whole.
0: Yeah, would love it, please.
2: I mean, I'm I'm personally, yeah, I guess I'm personally not a believer, really. I think that I think some of them that can be cool, like status pieces, like. I was thinking about buying an Ether Ether Rock at one point before they rocketed just because it's like, oh, there's only 100 of these. And it sort of really is like a supply demand thing or like a hype thing, in my opinion. And the one problem that I have with NFTs and I can I can see an argument for the older ones like CryptoPunks or Ether Rock. But the problem I have with the newer NFTs is that people are just minting them, you know, and it's it's basically like a modern day exit scam for most of these. Right. It's just like, how let me let me start my own NFT. Let me see if I can sell it to a bunch of people. And then, uh, you know, it's basically free money, right? And so I think some of the older NFTs I could see an argument for, like CryptoPunks, like I said, uh, EtherRock, um, maybe even BoardAPI Club has been popping off.
0: Can you put that on the screen? Where are they at right now? Because I I know that now with Bitcoin price moving, I'm actually curious. It's been a few days. um, With Punks? Yeah, if they're up to like oh, yeah. 250. I saw they were 225 maybe like three days ago or four days ago. I think they're
2: 71 ETH. I, I checked it earlier today, actually. Like but maybe it's a little bit. Maybe I'm misremembering. Like I remember us, a seven bring handle.
0: Bring us big, Rasty. Bring us big. Control. Yeah,
2: first sale. Oh. If you go back, right here, if you go up. Yeah. yeah, 71. So what 71. Is what is that, so like
0: 250?
1: 240, it says. Yeah. All right. No, keep going, though.
2: Yeah, I don't know. I just think, here's the thing that I would tell people. If you want to, look, if you want to go buy a super, if you have a ton of money and you want to go buy a single super lotto ticket, like it's probably not going to affect you, right? But uh, generally speaking, I think that anyone entering the crypto space should just focus on buying Bitcoin. And if you want to mess around with some money and some of these things, and, you know, it's like if you want to go to ARIA and play the play the pick games, which I never do, like, I, you know, I'm, I'm not into pick games or any of that stuff. I'm just into like games where I, I can have an edge. But if you want to go to ARIA and play and you, you're, you you know, you're making a killing and you want to go in there and gamble with like an ultra small amount of money, then just know what you're getting yourself into, right? So I think for most people, they should just actually stay away from them and just stick to like investing in Bitcoin, basically.
0: Right. But if you want to play craps or even a roulette and hit a 35 to one, and go for it, and put some money down, and just yeah, have a drink and see what happens. Like that's uh, that's a good analogy. I like that. I like that a lot. Um, okay, so crypto or uh, NFTs is not your. That's not your. You're not. You're not on the NFT train. Uh, you, not at kidding. all. <laughs> uh, fair enough. That's. I mean, that's how I feel. Other exactly as you mentioned with the mint ones, right? Like the the blue chip ones that I think will likely be good or not get too much volatility. Um, there's still volatility, but I, I, I'm with you on that. I Just it's it's hard to imagine. It's similar to all these like uh, Bitcoin projects, like are all these I'm sorry, crypto projects. Some of the NFT, there's probably only going to be a few big solid ones, and the rest are just kind of, yeah, as you said, unfortunately, probably pump and dump scams and just not going to be. Well, it's
1: just there's I think the supply and demand thing. Yeah, the, the hype. The hype. Totally and right. the thing is that there's actually an infinite supply of potential NFT projects because you could just keep making pictures. And yep. the cost, especially if you're just, it's very low and then you're selling them for like actual money, uh, you know, Oh, generate it like a computer program, generate some art based on, a, you know, whatever you spend a couple of days coding it done, you know, 10,000 and you just like meant them all. So yeah, I mean, I think the kind of key word for what you said is like, yeah, the historical, there's some sort of historical or societal importance put on certain projects. Um, That won't go away, but, you know, I mean, like, it's almost like with art, like something made everybody love, like Leonardo da Vinci or Michelangelo or certain super, you know, Monet, certain, certain famous artists, and then it grabs this place, and that doesn't have to continue forever, but it tends to be this kind of trend line of, like, we value this, and obviously it's way too early to compare this to, like, hundreds of year old, like, art projects or something. But there is that type of thing. Well, And then a bunch of art is made every day by people that get sold on the street or in like local shops that is never really worth more than anything significant because it's yes. just some art for whatever reason, not necessarily that it's better or worse. You know, you can argue about that, but that, that's just the way it goes. And so I feel like there's a lot of that happening with NFTs. So,
0: you know, uh, I get it. Yeah, makes perfect sense. Yeah. Um, and and what about poker content? Do you consume anything? Do you, or do you watch any streams, Twitch, YouTube channels? Do you watch any of the Triton or High Roller stuff or any of the broadcasts on Poker Go? Do you keep up with any of it?
2: Not really anymore. I, I did see you guys had Galfond on earlier. I'm like a huge Galfond fan. I mean, because I'm, I'm you know, came in, came in in the PLO streets, I guess. But uh, not really anymore. I mean, when I was playing poker, like, I would be consuming, like, you know, I had the Run It Once training. I had, like, just, like, these high rollers where it's like cards face up, I would be watching those. Um, If I wasn't playing, like that would sort of be like, like I said, the first thing I would think about back then was like, wake up, think about poker, go to sleep, thinking about poker. But nowadays not, not, not as much, honestly. Do you
0: have your alert set? Do you have, do you have plus minus Bitcoin alerts? Like I know Rastia you for a bit, you had some alerts. Do you still yeah. have those, those, uh, <laughs> those, do you have those songs set or anything? Or do you wake up? Do you kind of go to the restroom in the middle of the night you take a look or yeah, that's,
2: that's exactly what i do <laughs> if mm-hmm. i wake up I, my, my phone is right next to me i'll just take a quick glance and go back to sleep
0: <laughs> fair enough Makes what
1: sense. uh what year what were the like two years or whatever it was where you were playing poker seriously just so i can place this
2: uh it was like 2014 to 20 like i started basically my run-up summer of 2014 but i was okay. like i was playing like very small stakes and as, like great. given the bitcoin price at the time and then 2015 think, 2016, 2017 was i know when
1: i mean my recollection was and maybe it was like actually i feel like it was maybe slightly before that but i'm sure it was like hitting hitting the stride like around the time like before and then like when phil started the like run at once trading site i don't know if mm-hmm. you ever had a subscription to that i did yeah I phil did. was making like by far, by like a wide margin, like the best digestible PLO yep. content on the Internet and obviously crushing like the highest stakes. So, yeah, it's like it was very easy if as a PLO player to probably be like, I love the Phil Galfond with his like, you know, <laughs> like goofy professorial, like awesome voice and, you know, super nice guy. Dude, yeah. they had
2: great content there from other people, too. Like I, I remember I used to watch all those uh, Joe Ingram interviews also actually at the time. Cause he was like doing a lot of those back in 2015, 2016. And I remember like watching some of the sauce videos on run at once, like when he was playing heads up and, you know, he was playing Hold'em, but it was like, it was still like super interesting because
1: yeah. I don't know. I love like, sauces like, videos too, back in yeah. the day. hundred yeah. percent. I thought, I, I mean, uh, I, I remember there was a period of time like when you're talking about, so we're talking about like whatever, five to seven years ago, I didn't watch that many videos. Studying was not a very big part of what I did yeah. with poker. I mean, my biggest thing uh, prior to Solvers was like focusing on my own kind of health. Like I was mm-hmm. doing focus and, you know, the hypnotherapy with Elliot Rowe, trying to mm-hmm. eat well, exercise, make sure I was getting enough sleep, whatever. Um, you know, not as much with the poker setting, but the little poker videos that I did, I love Sauce's videos. Like Sauce yeah. had some really like interesting uh, theoretical stuff. And, and there were a few theory videos he did that were just amazing. Yeah. Sauce was, sauce was awesome. He, he was, he was the good shit. So, yeah.
2: Yeah. I think I basically quit right around the time that solvers sort of <clears throat> started coming around in PLO, like monk or solver and, uh, yeah, props to anyone who can sit there and grind solver solutions and memorize all these lines and everything for hours on end every day. I mean, it's, uh, it's definitely a huge grind. I feel like.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I, I've i never really done that. And so I, I do feel like solvers have not been net good for me at all. I, I would mm-hmm. say probably my poker apex was in that range like five to seven years ago, like right before really solvers started improving a bunch of people's games. Yep. Um, I got rich and stopped working super hard. But uh, it's like, yeah, I, I do know from people who I've talked to, good friends who work. I mean, a lot of it is, you know... Obviously, you're not going to remember solver outputs, right? It's just yeah. like infinite number of like this crazy memorized chart. That's like for a computer to fucking do. But what you try to do is, you know, remember the shapes of the outputs of whatever, right? Like uh, like the condensed shape starting from the upper and like trailing down with the pairs or this. Or mm-hmm. you remember... Um, you, you kind of study the output quite a bit and you try to remember like certain takeaways by it. Oh, like, so, and, and then you, you theorize like why that is for a reason that makes a lot of sense to your human brain so that you can remember it, right? Because yep. like, I just remember this from school almost. It's like learning. Like if I had to just memorize a whole bunch of stuff.
2: You're just going to forget it. <laughs> be,
1: yeah, I don't remember. Like maybe I could remember it specifically for like the next day taking a test or something. But really the old way I learned stuff is you have all these facts, but if you can kind of link them through like causal reasoning or something, then it becomes like very, oh yeah, this happened because this, and it caused this. And then you kind of just remember the story, right? And I feel like it's a little bit of the same gig with solvers, whereas you're like, you remember, oh, okay. Like when there's a range advantage in this situation on this type of board, it leads to like this type of solution, right? And so, okay. And then make that'll apply more often you know, mm-hmm. and then there's exceptions or this, or that or whatever, but I, I feel like it's a lot of that. So, you know, you, you find ways to remember it that aren't just like, obviously, if, you, if it was just memorizing random stuff, like that would be the nut worst, but you know, I yeah. think you try to find memory tricks, but. So that was my rant. All right. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. I'm done. My rant. Push them out like fucking solvers. But-
2: I hear solvers. I, I'm just like, oh man. <laughs>
1: <It's a good laughs> let,
0: let me ask you I, this, Chip. What, what do you yeah, think I, about a course for for trading for for, for Bitcoin or for NFTs? Because like I, I've thought about this a little bit. Like it seems like there's a there's a space. Because like think about poker. How many programs and different courses? and Even in the last few years, new courses, new people that have have a following or pers- personality or any kind of loyalty. You know, people are dying for information. They want to learn. They want to do it. They don't want to, you know, kind of the same thing. They don't want to go into deep solver work and look those charts that RAS shows. Although, you know, it gives the point you're talking it through. It's overwhelming a bit to like, wow, this is like complex. People don't mind studying or learning. It's just they don't want to go and get overwhelmed and feel kind of outsmarted. Have you thought about that? Or are you a little surprised? Maybe there is. There must be. Is there some courses or anything that's good out there right now?
2: I mean I'll I'll say this much like I think the problem with trading is it's hard to find someone who's like doing well and is willing to sell like a cheap course like the reality is is that like someone who's doing well trading isn't going to offer like a $50 trading course or like a you know run it once for example was $100 per month and like you're not going to get that in the trading space with someone giving out what they look at, because like, I can give you an example on my end, right? Like there are specific data points I look at and there's very specific ways that I interpret that data. And the way that I've come to those conclusions is from years of just sitting here watching it. And so like, there's a reason why if you read my Twitter, I sound like totally deranged and I'm trying not to give out too much because I like, you know, I put a lot of effort into, into what I've created. And so like, it's going to be, it's going to be hard to find someone who's, Gonna give you like actionable information to give you an edge in the markets for a cheap price, right? Like, I mean, I wasn't gonna bring this up, but speaking of courses, it's like you know, I get shit for uh you, you know, I have like this quote unquote like private group or whatever where I actually show people how I trade, and it's like I get a lot of shit for it, but that's what I value my time at. And so if people want access to my time or want to learn how I actually trade, like that's the that's the fee that I charge. And if no one wants to take me up on it, I'm totally okay with it. If no one wants to join for the next year, I'm totally okay with it. But the reality is, is that like, my focus is primarily on the markets. And I will say this, and I'm curious, you know, I'm curious if Galfon had the same experience with him, with himself and run it once. I felt like for me, like as a trader, when I'm in sort of a smaller group setting and in 2019, like I was doing this a lot just in like a private group. And then now I'm doing this sort of in the group that I'm running I feel like when you're in a smaller group setting and you're sort of like accountable for what you're putting out there or your opinions, you're putting out there it definitely sharpens you as a trader. And I wonder if Galfond feels the same way, like when he's teaching this PLO content, like did it sharpen him as a player? Um, so, but in terms of like general courses, I think that what you're going to find for free or cheap is usually not going to be like from a big account is probably not going to be what gives you an edge there's probably better material that you can get for free to be honest but it's just going to be from smaller accounts right
1: i can give i can give a little bit so i'm not galfond in the yep. sense that you know he created a trading site so there were other incentives for galfond be, yep. beyond that because you know he had the whole site and and his business he was running i actually um, you know i i know galfond I've known him for a long time. When he started his thing, I thought it was super cool. I was excited about it as a place initially to do some learning and watch some videos to the point where I was like, hey, why don't I make some videos for them? Now, at that point, Black Friday had already happened. So like based on me playing live, it was really based on hands I'd played in Macau, which was a little hard to do um, in a sense. It wasn't really natural in the way of just like uploading a hand history, but it's, you know, like they paid me some money. I did it. It was cool by the sense that, you know, I got some feedback in it by being on the forums, getting the feedback, answering questions, talking through the hands with some people. And then, you know, kind of like being on the forums more uh, for the month that I did that. It was it was cool. It was a good experience. But I kind of got to the point where pretty soon I was like the amount of money I was getting paid to do it was like not worth the t- time and even just like the energy. Like, hey, while I'm playing, I need to, like, think about whether or not find some hands to, like, write down to use later. Like, I just hate having shit take my energy away when I'm trying to, you know, just be in the moment and play my best. So, uh, you know, after doing it for a little while, I I was like, okay, I've had enough of this. It's definitely not worth my time, and I'm done. And I'm not even really that interested in learning on the forum anymore. I feel like I got enough out of it. Mm -hmm. I'm not wasting my time with that either. So... you know, it's it's exactly that. It's like your time is worth a lot. Like if you're really good at something, like if you're a world class poker player or a trader, and a trader you can make even more money than poker. Basically, it's not really worth your time to do something cheap, right? Yeah. Or energy.
2: Yeah, I guess the nice thing with trading is like I'm doing it sort of anyways, and uh, and I'm on the computer anyway, so that's that's sort of the nice thing. I guess with poker, it's like if you're making these training videos, uh, you can't you you can't be playing. Poker at you know you can't have a session running at the same- maybe you can, but I guess it'd be a little bit hard. You can't have a session running as you're reviewing these hands and so forth, so
1: yeah, I mean, the other thing about poker, and I think espe- maybe even more in the past than than before is you know before a lot of poker was figuring out your opponent's weaknesses and exploiting them like yep. nobody really knew g t o pre solvers right I mean yep. people talked about it and balanced, but you know it was just something you talk about, like no one you know there wasn't something telling you how to play g t o There's a cost to making it like theoretically, somebody who played a lot could just like watch your videos. And I'm sure like really smart poker players could glean something about your style that way, unless you were like being intentionally deceptive, which then goes against the point of making the video sort of. So, you know, whereas I think in in trading, uh, I feel like there isn't, you know, I mean, you could tell me, but it doesn't seem like there would be that negative just like outside of your time and energy, right? Right.
2: I feel like it's less of an impact and also at least from my experience from the people who are like in my group, they take the information information I give them and some of them will just copy me verbatim, but a lot of them sort of just incorporate into, into how they already trade and do their sort of sort of just do their own thing. So it's sort of like a supplement more than it is like, you know, everyone just like copy trading me or something like that.
1: Yeah. But yeah, no, the negative thing definitely became a part of why I stopped. It's like, not only is this not worth my time, but I'm going to keep making videos so that, you know, I started playing more tournaments and it wasn't like just like people in Macau with like random Asian people who probably mostly aren't watching like Phil's run at once thing. I'm like, I'm just like giving, you know, reads and whatever to, 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 to my future opponents that are now like more likely to be more and more the same people on a regular basis. So, yeah, I, yeah, I don't yeah, know. So, but. Hmm,
0: yeah. Beautiful. Listen, I, I personally, I gotta say, like, to me, I'm fascinated. I'm fascinated by this, this world is trading. And you know, I think that, you know, you're, you obviously are anonymous here. Um, it's, it's very exciting. It's an exciting time. And I think that this is, it's kind of evident with poker as well. Not a lot of 21 year olds are coming into poker. People are getting into crypto slash NFTs uh, that you could, you could kind of blanket statement as a uh, blockchain, right? You know, metaverse mm-hmm. stuff. We We haven't even kind of, gone down this rabbit hole as well but i, I do want to kind of close out because i do feel like maybe we could have some you maybe a pre-card <laughs> rast i'll put rast in charge where we could rotate guests and do like a 15-minute segment on a card <laughs> and bring through guests and kind of just tag them all through but you know we could talk for a long time and uh I, i'm fascinated but i do want to my last question for you at least personally and rast may have something else with the metaverse what are your your kind of overview thoughts on this and have you dabbled at all i mean this land and we're hearing different different lands could you maybe explain a little at a high level what that looks like and is that something you're interested in personally at this moment.
2: So my take on it is it at least for for me as someone who plays games uh is it seems to be like corporations trying to force their like um sh- like views on what like I'm not even sure exactly what they're trying to sell here but it's like you know it's like trying to tell gamers and and people who are online on a regular basis what they want and I think the reality is is that most people don't uh, don't necess- like most gamers that you talk to will just be like, yes, yeah, screw this metaverse thing." But I was talking to this with my friend actually like two days ago, and his take was like, "If you can, if you can like find a good like, if you take a look at the metaverse, it's like some sort of combination of like financial markets, gaming, um, NFTs, and uh, like let's just say like game mm-hmm. development or something like that." And it seems like a lot of these projects are sort of just like VCs sort of throwing mud at a wall and hoping something sticks and one of these takes off. And so I'm sure someone's going to crack something at that at some point and there's going to be some sort of killer app that's going to happen here. But there's nothing that I've seen. And granted, I haven't put a lot of time into this. Most of my time is like trading Bitcoin, but I haven't seen anything that's really like caught my eye as someone who's online on a regular basis, like who plays games and who's like involved in financial markets and crypto.
1: Right. And All right. So that. Oh no. Is, right. this a, is this a follow up metaverse question? Because I was going to ask him about the games, but do the follow up metaverse question.
0: No, no. Go. Well, go for it. No, okay. I have no. thoughts. Okay. So,
1: games. Is this something? Have you been a video game player your whole life? And like, what what system do you play games on? Now is a computer, PlayStation, Xbox, Switch.
2: Yeah. So I'm not like a super competitive gamer, but like. uh you know, I started off as a kid sort of playing like StarCraft and WarCraft on the computer. Yeah. Like StarCraft, like the Blizzard games, right? Like StarCraft, yes. WarCraft, Diablo. Um, And then, you know, like the GameCube game, stuff like that, like console games as a kid. But the last console that I had was a GameCube. So um, okay. it's mostly been like computer games, like League of Legends, like a little bit of World of WarCraft, uh, things like chess. I've been playing a bit more chess lately, things like that. So Okay, I don't even know cool. if you'd consider chess a computer game, actually. <laughs> Definitely not, I guess.
1: Uh, I wouldn't, but I've done, you know, I, I've gone through various, like, hey, I'm I'm playing. So actually, there was a long stretch where I didn't play too many video games, but I did a number of, like, I'll call it, like, I was, like, brain training. So mm-hmm. I, I had an Illumosity account. I you, you would use it on and off. I did chess, especially, like, uh, you know, like the what is it called when they, the they have like the puzzles, like you have a yeah. situation and you have to find the move. I, yeah. I thought those were like great brain training exercises, you know, mm-hmm. Sudoku, a bunch of stuff. I wouldn't mm-hmm. necessarily call those video games, but I, I recently like during COVID uh, or no, it wasn't even, yeah. Like late COVID, like last year I bought a, I bought a PS five or was it? Yeah. I bought a PS five. So I had had a console in like 10 years or something, but I've, I've, done a little bit more gaming on my PS5 recently. So I was just curious.
2: Nice. How are you liking it?
1: I, lo- I, You know what? It's weird. It's like I had gone through a period of watching more like movies and video games. And I've, I'm sorry, movies and, and and especially TV shows. And it's mm-hmm. almost like getting this now. I've transitioned and i watch very few movies. And not that a lot of my TV shows have kind of ended and I'm not. And I've been doing a little bit more gaming in the last year. And I've enjoyed it. You know, I, I kind of tried to put in some research and because I haven't played too many games for years now, you know, I, I, I'm i not just like, oh, the whatever's out now. I'm like, what's well, like the best game in the last 10 years for PS5 or PS4? And I pick it. So like, I just played through Last of Us, which was like one of the most well-known games for PlayStation. I'm like, oh, this was a, this was a lot of fun. Another game, super short, but like very cool was this game called Journey. I think you can mm-hmm. play it on the computer as well. But it's kind of this like short, really like, artistic beautiful game so i don't know those are a couple games and whatever i like gaming
2: yeah, yeah. I'm, a, I'm a big fan i mean I've been, I've been like i said i've been playing games my entire life and i definitely think there's a place for them um so
1: yeah it's stimulating you know i mean you're you're
0: interacting and uh yeah definitely a lot more stimulating for your brain i feel like but yeah it's, it's, i always thought i would play video i have a three-year-old almost son now and You know, video games. I remember it was a big part of my life growing up. I always thought I would just like be playing video games with my son, but I haven't played in so long. I love FIFA. I love. It is fun to play, but there you realize it's like a real time suck. You know, it's just like you. I didn't realize how much time I actually played on video games as a kid. It's kind of wild. Like if I look back, like there was legitimate pie charts of like my youth on you know being at home and now it's, it's kind of crazy to think what's going to happen with virtual reality metaverse like the all these experiential things it's it's getting a little bit little play bit... to earn games
2: oh yeah <laughs> what if play more done. and
0: more what if more and more like
1: legit cool like real games that people want to play become somehow play to earn yo man it's like life by design pretty soon people will just be like playing games <laughs> and creating content and betting on stuff going up and down or who's going to win this fight. And like robots will be doing all the actual work. Okay. Well, we just like live these like goofy lives where <laughs> you could say like, what's the point? I don't know. I mean, whatever.
0: I, I enjoy it, you know? and, let me like, let me leave it on this because I I feel like this is the I they I want to ask especially I like the way your mind works I like how you kind of process and explain things give me your simulation answer you, you've heard Elon Musk say a billion to one simulation give me sort of your what you think on on that we live in a simulation any thoughts on that just as like a hot take
2: I personally don't just because I think it's a simpler solution than saying that we do but. I'll say this, much: I don't spend a lot of time, like even if we do or if we don't, there's not much I can do about it anyway. So I'd rather just focus on what I can in terms of like it, my life and the people around me, rather than, uh, rather than like worrying about something that I can't, I can't really affect or impact.
0: So. I, I would say I, for sure. That's a, I like that too. It's very well said. I would say more from a standpoint, like I don't look at it when I, I think when you hear the word do we live in a simulation, it, it, it insinuates that we're living in something that's completely not real. Like, it's mm-hmm. like, you're not real. But like, I look at it more of almost like everyone has their own sort of, you know, what's it called? Uh, the Truman Show stuff going right. on. I'm not saying it's not real, but it's like your own version and your own sort of, uh, sort of world. But I think, you know, if it gets kind of weird, right? If you're saying, well, is this weird? Nothing matters. And it's not really happening or whatever but i i just yeah just curious because i think there's a lot of different takes you can go a lot of different directions whether it's i mean personally or you know as a as like we live in the sims or whatever um
2: i, I definitely I, I definitely think like a lot of people at least you know i have family members or friends who get into a routine or sort of like they get into this comfortable bubble and so if you want to view the simulation from that from that sense that's probably the case like that's why i'm a big fan of some people someone like david goggins like trying to push himself or do stuff that makes them uncomfortable purposefully. So mm-hmm. I'm a big fan of that and and you know sort of living my life in that sense too. But if you want to view it from that sense, then I would say that maybe people are in their own sort of like bubbles or simulations.
0: Makes sense. That's uh it's very nice. Very nicely said. Ras, do you have any Questions or any last thoughts? Cause I feel, feel like this is Chimp's one of those guys. He's definitely a multiple guest, multiple time coming on the show guy. He's going to be here. We don't want it. We don't need to, we don't need to tap him out. You know, we the whole yeah. time. I, I feel like we've, we've really hit a lot of big topics, including. I, listen, I've agreed
1: with a lot of stuff Chimp has said in this, even, even the take on it. Like sometimes like the kind of esoteric philosophy questions where it's sort of like, there's just no way to parse out whether, you know, can someone create an experiment of any kind, which can substantiate the difference between whether we live in a simulation or not. And if the answer is no, and there's no way within any meaningful time period, like our lifetime to do so, then it just seems like a completely meaningless question, right? You're just sort of like saying, which way do you want to define our our reality, right? right? You want to define it this way or that way, but if there's just no difference and no way to tell, then it, it's kind of, you know, like who cares? Right. I mean, you know, so to debate whether or not it's like that idea of like, is it is it the color blue or is it the color bleen where it's blue up until you know 2040 and then it turns green? Well, I mean, that one at least you could tell in 2040 if if blue becomes green, then it's bleen. But like the point is, is for now it's like bleen and blue is the exact same fucking thing, and it's gonna be that way for another 18 years. So, yeah, I mean, I, I agree. And I'm not not that interested in the simulation discussion, I guess, because of because of all that. That would I be agree. I my agree way of breaking it, it down. I so, agree. you know, I'm on team. Listen, I'm just on team chimp. It's like, <laughs> I love this. It's like he says, the man says he's not into NFTs. But I look and in that little circle, there's a fucking <laughs> dinosaur with the Santa Claus hat. He's probably bringing presents. He's got the laser eyes because Bitcoin's going to the fucking moon. All right. <laughs> I mean, that's an NFT waiting to happen right there, chimp. Where's your dinosaur <laughs> NFT collection, bro? You gotta cash in. It all is. Right? I,
2: ha- I do have one NFT, and that's an honorary gecko. Uh, uh, <laughs> NFT that, that is this one. But I did add the laser, laser eyes on my own just to make sure people know I'm a pro team Bitcoin. So
1: let's go. We're all we're all th- pro fucking Bitcoin. All right. I'm gonna take. I'm gonna reach over here into this monitor and fucking slap Jeff. <laughs> fucking slap him.
0: Don't, slap him because he keep talking
1: I'm, about crypto and NFTs and. I'm also on Team fucking Bitcoin, although yeah. I do own some NFTs. So I guess <laughs> I do have to just—that's the one thing I disagree with you on—is I do have some CryptoPunk exposure, potentially just a little bit. I've dabbled here and there, but exactly. even there, I keep it simple. That's it. We don't—we don't really go outside of that.
0: It's just those. Boom. You, listen, Fun. we covered a lot, guys. I'm gonna, we're gonna drop the mic, rest. I think Let's you're actually it. in control of the podcast, but I will segue. Oh, I in. am. I will segue us out. Rass was driving tonight. Chimp, I hope you enjoyed it. It's the first
1: time I've got my training wheels. Jeff let me. It's like when you're the test driver, it's normally it's Jeff's driving, but he's like, hey, Brian, give it a spin. You know, look, we can get you your license.
0: We want to get you going. We want to have you to be able to to carry it if if need be. So we did we figured that out. But Chimp, I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you'll be watching some of the Triton commentary. Rass and I are gonna be doing that over in Cyprus for some high-stakes action. Triton will return. So, guys, if you're watching at home, make sure you check that out. Chimp, I hope you check it out. And I think everyone is more knowledgeable today after listening to this podcast than they were before. I think that's almost for sure. Not a guarantee. That's how I feel. Hope you feel the same more big guests to come. Chimp, thank you so much. Any closing words, where can we follow you? We got you on Twitter. Ras, maybe flash that up one more time. That's a great follow on Twitter and uh, anywhere else people can follow along with your
2: ride. Um, yeah, mostly just on Twitter. If anyone wants to like send me a message or has any questions, you can send me a message privately. On Twitter, I keep my message inbox open for anyone. So if anyone wants to contact me or anything uh, or has any questions after the podcast, uh, you know, feel free to reach out, try to make myself pretty available. So
0: very nice. Well, I, I know we're in a mutual chat group. I did. I, I got you on Twitter now as well. And I, I didn't I wasn't, although I have had a senior account, I'm aware of it now. I feel connected I feel like we bonded. We actually played poker together. We didn't even know it. I didn't know it because this was many, years, many moons ago. That we were in the same event. So I wish you uh future success, whether it's poker, crypto trading, NFTs. If you dive in the metaverse, good luck to you. Thank you so much. And Rasty, since I can't click the button, you have to segue us out. And Chimp, thank you so much for your time. Rasty, any closing words?
1: I had some, but they escaped me. It's been yeah. fun. Here we go. I'm gonna drive us home. Ciao. All right. We're oh nope.